Seinfeld, The Rye is over, but we are just getting started here on the Seinfeld Recap Podcast, the podcast about nothing. And now here are the two guys who are about to get hot and heavy. I'm Rob Sister. Here's Akiva Winner. Akiva, how are you? Oh, I'm great, Rob. I'm so good. Yes. You, it doesn't bother you that I called us hot and heavy? No. Who, we Listen, we've been together 120 times. At this point, it's like, you know, what's 121? Yes, yes. So we're going to get into everything from the Rye. Really great Seinfeld episode to talk about today. I feel like we've really been on a roll. We didn't do anything. They wrote the episodes. We we're just talking about them. But like, you know, from the soup Nazi on down, uh, so a very strong underrated stretch of episodes. Yeah. No, the podcasts have been good, too, I think. For as yeah, good but as I'm just saying we can't get credit for like the actual episode struck. You know, like w- the order is just how we take it. You know, yeah. we, we can't get credit for... Uh, you know, the soup Nazi. We're just talking about it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, pool guy, I'm not so sure about, but uh, a little oh, no, bit. Not, listen, not everything has been a classic, but I think in general, the first half, I think next week we're done with part one of uh, of the seventh season. Is It's pretty strong. All right. So a lot to get to. Akiva and I, just before recording this podcast episode, we just recorded an interview with the author of the new book, Seinfeldia, Jennifer Armstrong. Had a nice little chat about that. That should be up in the podcast feed by the time you're listening to this. Recommend uh, you check that out, right? That was fun. Yeah, yeah. She, uh, the book is, uh, you know, she's a good writer. She, uh, you know, sometimes you have these like entertainment books and the person like it'll be about like, uh, hey, here's a book about Pearl Jam. I love Pearl Jam. And the person knows a lot about Pearl Jam, but they, they can't articulate it. They're not like they're a professional, you know, music listener. They're not a professional writer. She's a professional writer that you could tell from reading the book. She's a good writer. Okay. That's not like this podcast, right? What? That people can tell that we're not professionals? Yeah, like the Pearl Jam thing. Oh, uh, no, I'd say that the Pearl Jam like fan knows their stuff and isn't isn't just good at articulating. We don't know our stuff and we're also bad at articulating. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> just checking on that. Keith, do you want to talk about anything before we get into the episode? Got any news items? Anything you want to uh, share with the listeners? Yeah, I, 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 we don't have any Seinfeld news, so you could skip ahead if you don't care here. But I'm going to go on a rant. I'm going to yell at you for a few minutes here. Fine. I'm actually kind of upset. Okay. Not at you, but I'm upset. Oh, okay, good. Uh, so the news is uh, I got kicked out of your fantasy football league. Yes, okay. Uh, <laughs> and so let me, let, me, let me just paint a picture for the listeners. <laughs> okay? So this league is a 20-team league. Yeah. Uh, it's ostensibly sort of like a celebrity versus uh, like regular person league. Loosest tell me if I'm saying term of the word celebrity ever. Well, that's you. one of my many issues. Okay, so it's it's supposed to be let's say ten celebrities, mostly reality TV people, which again, not the biggest stars in the world, but that's fine. That's your trade, right? That's what you do. Yeah. Uh, versus uh, ten commoners. Mm-hmm. So last year I got invited to the league. I was very happy to be in the league. I enjoyed it. It's a 20-team fantasy football league. Yeah. So I enjoyed it enough that this year when I told my wife I would cut down a fantasy football league, I I ran last year two of my own leagues. I cut one out and merged them from two 10-team leagues to one 12-team league uh, and left this league in because I cut. I wanted to cut out one, but I enjoyed this league enough that I wanted to keep it as one of my four leagues. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so I, you know, I was very busy with the Olympics and watching TV and I was all over the world and I didn't, you know, I got a couple emails about the league, but I, I, when I went to check the draft date, I noticed I'm not in the league anymore. Yes. So I asked the, so here's where it gets confusing. There's a commissioner. Yes. 
Then there's like a guy who makes a lot of trades who like yes. finds people for the league. Yes. Okay. Lucas. And then there's some other peripheral people, none of okay. whom are you, even though the league has your name on it, which is fine. Right. I wouldn't, if I, if I was you, I think that's a good decision by you to have nothing to do with it. It's my second most important fantasy league. Okay, fine. Even though it's the only one that has your name on it. That's right. Like the other one, you're just another schmo with a bunch of your friends, probably. Right. Or acquaintances. Let's not mm-hmm. go crazy with friends. Okay. Um, but okay, so here I'll boil down my issues. So there is relegation, which, uh, you know, the, the bottom, let's say two people get booted from the league every year. And there's a qualifying league from which the winners get promoted, which is, I think, a very cool idea. It's a good idea. Yes. But I did not finish in the bottom two. Mm-hmm. So the guy who finished in the bottom, he got kicked out of the league. The person who finished second to last, I was told, is not eligible for relegation because, and I quote, he runs the qualifying league. Okay. <laughs> now, why? I think you're going to say because it was me. <laughs> no, 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 no. No. Well, th- no. Because I'm pretty sure I only won one game last year, and I think it was against well, you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on. So this is just with the commoners. So that guy runs a qualifying league. I've never heard of him. I'm sure he's a great guy. Right. You're really but, losing people, though, Keith. That I feel like I don't, this listen, is probably I, an I, off-air I, conversation we could have had. I, yeah, it definitely is, but I'm also going to still going. I'm still, I'm still going to go on with this. Okay. I uh, mean, this is a classic <laughs> Seinfeld episode here. We're going to open it up yes. with a very, a very personal rant. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We're going, we're going, for, we're going full. <laughs> listen, we, probably we should have just done this on 32 fans, but we're already halfway done. <laughs> um, we talk about our lives on this show. Yeah. So, I guess so. so then the third place guy, he also should have been relegated ostensibly ahead of me. I should add that the celebrities are not eligible for relegation. Mm-hmm. This is like a league, you know, this is like a Donald Trump style rule where oh, okay. No, okay. The, the important people are not are not. El- but again, the term celebrity, like it's your league. I don't I don't think you should be eligible for relegation, but you're also a former winner. That's another rule. I think yeah. winners are never allowed to be relegated. Yeah, for the That's, record, I, I was two and 11 last year. OK, but you did beat me, I believe. in I like week one. Or week yeah, two. And it was like on a real cheapo, like, uh, like, yeah, Kobe we were like Fleener the two worst got, teams like, that shut week out. Or something. Yeah, so, okay. That's right. Yeah. I had Kobe Fleener on like Monday night and he, he like didn't even come to the stadium or something this is so boring um, for everyone else i know and it's not it's not it's 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 cathartic for me anyway so the celebrities and some of the celebrities i won't name names but some of the celebrities very questionable whether celebrities or not i think used to work at espn does not qualify you to be a celebrity <laughs> you know i, 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 I if think you were, for the podcast listeners i think if you just hit uh two minutes forward like two more times i yes. think you should be through this uh i fast forward five just to be just to be sure um and then so the third place guy this is my favorite thing rob yes so first i was told that he can't be relegated because uh he hosts uh traveling wheel of fortune Mm -hmm. which i guess even though he's not in the celebrity (laughs) thing makes him a celebrity okay but then i was told no uh, it's also because he uh, he made the playoffs five years in a row, which I checked, and yes. he missed the playoffs multiple years in a row. It's not, so, uh, not are you accurate. saying there's cronyism in the oh, Rob yes. as a podcast yes. fantasy football league? 100%. Yeah. So <laughs> instead of in, – they probably don't know who I am, which is fair. No one should know who I am. Yes. But they just said, oh, he won't care, and they kicked out me instead of this guy who's been right. in the league a few extra years. All right. Do you want to co-own my team with me? No, no. I See, I knew you'd say that because you're a nice guy. I don't because I don't, I, I don't want to. I don't want to co-own the team. Here's okay. what I want. I want the commissioner, Lucas, and this Cooley guy to be eligible for relegation. <laughs> There's no anybody could be the commissioner of this league. He's not even doing a good job. He's kicking out whoever he wants. Yeah. Literally, 
an idiot could do, could do a better job than this. Yeah, that's the problem with kicking out somebody who has the uh, the power of a podcast microphone. <laughs> yeah, listen, the, the league. Listen, you're, you're making Please, up call, rules. Call on my team with me. <laughs> They're making. Up I need rules. the help. I was two and eleven last I year. I will. I will stop the rant when you agree to the relegation. <laughs> I re- if it'll if it'll end the conversation faster. It will end the conversation. I'm gonna be. I hope this is like this is like when my wife talks to me. I will yes. do whatever you want as long as you stop talking. Fine, fine, fine. Then I, I I think that they should. Everybody should be eligible for the relegation. No I no immunity also. idols. No one that last season was the immunity season. Now anybody should be. No, but I I like the idea if they, if you ever win the league, you're you're exempt. I think that is a good rule. Yeah. Because it, it, you know, gives a lot of. There's no money in this league, so there's a value to winning. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry for boring you, Rob. Yeah, it's not boring me. I'm thinking of the listeners. I would have been happy to talk about this with you for ten more minutes. Mm, I hear you. All right. Yeah. Listen, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll invite the commissioner on my other podcast, and we could bore everyone else in there. Sounds, sounds good. All right. <laughs> so let's get into talking about. Well, really, uh, we started off this uh, very, very not hot, but very heavy. Yeah, I, I warned you heavy. before we went on. I said I was going to rant and it's going to be boring. <laughs> okay, there we go. And uh, you delivered. So let's talk about uh, the rye written, but last episode written by Carol Leifer slash Leifer. Uh, the final episode that she ever writes? I believe that is the case. Did she go like her own way? I think she left the show and went off to go do this. So, I mean, I'm just going off of what the uh, the notes about nothing are. But let me just take a look at her on uh, Wikipedia if it shows the episodes that she wrote. But I believe that's the really it. that's the time to leave. Like when the show's still on, you're like red hot. You could be like the number two writer on any show. Yeah. So of the episodes that she has her writing credit on, I believe there's six of them. This is the final of those. Oh, so say goodbye to Carol. Although everyone sort of comes back for the finale, but maybe she didn't. Yeah, we'll see. We will see. So last episode from her first episode here now in uh, 1996, correct? Uh, yeah, it's, she. it appears she goes to write a show called Almost Perfect is her next job. Okay, I've heard about that show. It's uh, Nancy Travis and Chip Zine. Yeah. It Actually, lasted 20, 22 seasons, that show. Yes, first episode of 1996, Keeve. Okay, 96. Fine. I mean, there's only been a couple episodes of 96, but fine. Okay, so here we go. First episode of 1996, and uh, we we're talking about The Rye, which opens up, no stand-up here. We open up with Elaine listening to the sultry saxophone sounds of her new boyfriend. Very strange cold open, right? Yeah, it is weird. Uh, almost uh, not even a joke here, just Elaine's sort of uh, inner monologue. He's so hot. I think they're just they're just heavy with how not hot, but heavy with how much, uh, you know, how many scenes they needed to get through in this episode. So that a lot of times when they have that, they cut out the monologue. And, you know, so this scene is here, but it's not a typical first scene from, you know, the other the other episodes we've seen where they're putting in something really interesting or funny to start. Yeah, his name is John. He is uh, almost like a Kenny G type guy, but he doesn't play the alto sax, plays the regular sax. Uh, I don't know the difference. Do you you know the difference? <laughs> well, the alto sax, I think the Kenny G thing is like more like looks like a clarinet, but this is like a full blown sax. Uh, so this alternate, is bigger. Yeah, alternate title for this episode. Uh, if it was more of an Elaine focused show, I would have gone with Sax in the City. Oh, before the show even existed. Yes. Yeah, really get the jump on that. <laughs> Can you do The Sax in the City? Because the titles, you know, except for one, will start with The. Yeah, The, sa- the Sax in the City. 
<laughs> casual sacks, uh, the casual sacks. You could do the is the hot and heavy. Is that like does that work at all? I don't know if it works at all. Actually, the original working title of this episode, uh, again, not a joke, was the Price Club. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about that. Not, I would have gone with the Beefarino over that. Yeah, I think uh, you know the marble rye instead of the rye maybe makes a little more sense. No, I think the rye was fine. I have no issue. We complain about the titles a lot, but I think this one is fine. Okay, yeah, we should probably stop complaining about the titles. Who cares? (laughs) Yeah. All right. So Jerry and Elaine are up at Jerry's apartment then in the next scene. Jerry's wearing this like this giant red sweater. I feel like this is very, very odd outfit for Jerry. Uh, Yeah. What? uh, Yeah. Describe the sweater. What's going on here? It's just like a sweater that looks like it's like a, you know, a triple XL. Looks like it's just way too big for Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, I don't notice. I, I, I always say like, I don't notice these things. I'm not good at uh sort of uh any sort of I'm not, I'm not really quick with like what people are wearing if they change their hair color what color people's eyes are even what people's faces look like and then this like facial test got passed around the internet this week i don't know if you saw it no like how much facial and i i probably scored the worst on the entire internet on it i got a 42 i think below 80 you have no facial recognition so I got 42 means like it's a miracle i could like recognize who my children are mm-hmm. yeah what do you mean it's a facial test I'll send it to you. It's like you how well you can tell people's faces. Okay. Is it how like well showing you can me people I know, people? like from Facebook? No, no. It'll show you faces, and then it'll say like, okay, which of the three did we just show you? Like a police lineup type of thing. Okay. All right, boy. All I'll right, send cool. it to you. I, th- I feel like you'd be really good at it, actually. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I think I might be better with names than faces, but we'll, we'll give it a shot. All right. So then Jerry and Elaine are talking about this new guy. And of course, Jerry always very interested in Elaine's love life. And so he's really terrific. Jerry asks, is he sponge worthy? And yes, yes, he is sponge worthy. Yeah, they, you know, it, it's gotten really uh, like over the top with sort of their like the level of conversation they have about Elaine's romances. There's been a lot more Elaine than Jerry recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, It's really, you know, there's no good that can come out of this. Yeah. Now this takes a weird turn, this conversation. So Jerry goes from asking, is he sponge worthy? And Elaine says, yes. And Jerry says, well, he's a musician. You know, I guess they're supposed to be very, you know, uninhibited and free. That seems like a weird follow-up question to, is he sponge-worthy? Yeah, I mean, they're shoehorning in to try and get to what Elaine's saying, but it is a weird thing to say, right? Oh, yeah, musicians are uninhibited and free. Elaine didn't even want to have the first part of this conversation. He had to, like, guilt her into it, so it's weird that he's he's keeping down this line of questioning. Yes, to which Elaine responds, actually, no, that's not the case. And Jerry sort of leads her along to explain more. And she says, and this is very well written here in this episode. She says, well, actually, he um, doesn't really like to do everything. And it is a very telling line in saying nothing. What do you think about how uh, sort of... They really beat around the bush here. They, they they're uh, no, almost, wait, easy there, Keeve. <laughs> they 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 really don't. You know, they they try and be as vague as possible. Maybe even more so than the contest. And yes. I've seen this episode so many times that it's hard for me to know. You know, if it works for me or not. You know what I mean? Oh, I think uh, it definitely works. Like you don't you don't know exact. You think that you're not supposed to know exactly what he's talking about? Oh, I think you know exactly what. Of course, that's what I'm saying. There's yeah. no. There's no, I don't think there's suspense. Yes. 
no, there's I think no some suspense. of the listeners thought there was suspense. Oh, no, I don't think that there was uh, any suspense intended. It's just uh, brilliantly written in that if, you know, there are small pe- small children watching or anything like that. Sure. Like, nobody oh, yeah, knows. Yeah. No, that they did a good job with. Nobody yes. knows what they're talking about unless sure. you know what they're talking about. Right. I'm sure the first time I saw this and I'm uh, 12 years old, I didn't know what they were talking about either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably when I was 20 years old, I, I didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> uh, I'll stop there. Yeah. Or, and they go on, and Jerry was like, does that bother you? And she says, it doesn't bother me. She says, it would be nice. I'm not going to lie to you and say it wouldn't be nice. And Jerry has a funny line. says, well, why not? You're there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so Jerry tries to say, well, maybe he was coming out of a very serious relationship. Uh, does does that hold any water? I mean, that seems like a weird excuse. Weird motive. It, it, makes, this- it never made any sense to me, that line. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. I think that Jerry is just trying to grasp at straws to say that maybe there's a reason. It's it's odd in the episode the you know that this is an issue for Elaine and this is something that she wants and then we get sort of like we go down this long path of the hot and heavy stuff and then sort of the resolution for the hot and heavy stuff is that then he says he wants to attempt this move and it just seems like uh that in in the few nitpicks I have with this story, I don't necessarily know how the road to this goes through hot and heavy. Yeah, the hot and heavy thing seems like a detour almost. It doesn't get us anywhere. Yeah. It just keeps the story going so we could see, you know, John the Jazz Guy between now and the end yeah, of the episode. Like really, to come back in between this sandwich of the cold open and the tag of him playing the saxophone. Exactly. <laughs> so Kramer comes in. He needs Jerry to come downstairs that he went to the Price Club. And he's loaded up. I'm not sure at what point the Price Club came to prominence in American society, but I guess we can uh, circle the date on the calendar here. And I guess shortly before January, first week of January 1996 is when the Price Club really started to happen. Yeah, now they would use Costco as the example, probably. Yes. Uh, Keith, do you shop at the Price Club? No, I I don't know. Do they even still have price clubs? I'm a well, Costco guy. Uh, what? I, then um, I don't mean to say like, oh, do you use Kleenex? And you're saying, no, I use tissues. Why? Is the price club just like the name for uh... whatever it is? Do you shop in bulk at the store? Yeah, okay. I say I thought the price club is the name of a store. I thought you are doing a Kleenex <laughs> I think thing. it is. A, I think it's the name of a store. I don't <laughs> yeah, care. No, I go to BJ's. No, I don't. Okay, fine. Yeah, BJ's, uh, Costco. Yeah, I like Costco personally, but yes. <laughs> I I happen, you know, I have a very strong uh, anti-hoarding take, and I think (laughs) that Costco really does not jive well with that, but uh, it has its uses. I I can trust myself not to hoard. I don't Mm -hmm. trust some of the other people I know not to just buy, you know, 40 gallons of ice cream. See, I don't like it. I feel like I go there with my wife and we spend $100 and then it's like, hey, oh, now we have to go to the real supermarket and get the stuff that we actually need. I feel like we're ending up You can't just shop at Costco. Yeah, um, you can't, you know, ultimately you buy like they're trying to say in this episode, so many things that you don't need. Mm-hmm. Uh, you end up wasting them, you know, like, oh, you know, we have 50 boxes of tissues. So let's just like throw them around like they're, you know, 
Yeah. After we had our second kid, I think we had gone there a bunch of times and just like, okay, well, we don't, there's no cooking going on here. Like, what are just as many different things that we can buy that we can just eat at any point and not have to cook anything? I think that that's really, we tried to stock up on stuff like that. But I just feel like you get, and you end up spending so much money and then you still don't have everything that you need. Maybe if you had like a, a really big family, it would be good, or maybe as as the boys get older, maybe we're just going to need to stock up more on stuff. But for us right now, it's not super practical, right? If you're two people plus you know two babies, like that's not you you don't really need that much stuff. It also it's not an enjoyable experience shopping there. The lines are long. The mm-hmm. store is enormous. They don't give you a you know, bag. You have to like you're just walking out carrying crates of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't enjoy going there. I don't mind if like my wife goes there. I don't really go shopping. Yeah, and I've definitely gotten into fights with my wife there because uh, my father-in-law, who that he is, he works at a Costco, and so that they have a a family like a plan, and so we had gotten we have a membership to go there, and so you know when we first had gotten the thing, you know we go there. And so now my wife is we're, we're there, and this is really there's nothing we need that they have there, and so, so we're sort of just like walking around the aisles. And Nicole is like, "Oh, uh, we need macaroni and cheese," and she's buying like you know a 24 box of macaroni. It's, it's literally it'd be like three years of macaroni and cheese for Nicole and I. And this is when we were in our first apartment together. We have like we have almost no cabinet space. I'm like, what are we doing? Why yeah. are we getting this? I've been and there. ends up just getting into a big fight of like, oh, you don't let me get anything. It's like, uh, why, why do we need this? But then you get into a fight in Costco. I'm sure I've been there, too. It's a good place to get in the fight because you can sort of walk away from each other <laughs> and not see each other for a half hour without worrying about bumping into each other. Yeah. Do you feel like the deals on anything electronic wise are I feel like like when I was growing up, when I was younger, they're like, oh, yeah, go to go there. You get this good deal. I don't feel like you're getting any great deals on any sort of electronics there. No, I don't think so. I think they're bringing you into the store for other stuff. You know, you're making you think. Yeah, they got all these TVs. It's like, oh, a lot of TVs. Got to get a TV while I'm here. Yeah. But I don't think you're doing anything better than I've never bought a TV at Costco. No. All right, so Kramer, his trunk is just loaded up. He's got uh, so much stuff. Anything interesting that you notice that Kramer has? Uh, I really like the the cartoon size, uh, you know, Sunkissed Tuna. Yeah. Uh, I But I, I like, did they have to make that? Did they have like the props department make that? They don't sell tuna that big, do they? I think they might. Uh, so Jerry is calling out what Kramer has. He says he has a 48 pack of Eggo waffles, a gallon of barbecue sauce, 10 pounds of cocktail meatballs. Look at this can of tuna. The biggest tuna I've ever seen in my life. The problem, you open the tuna, it's not fresh anymore. So why would you want one huge can when you could get a 12-pack of smaller ones? I don't know. Maybe you like work in a cafeteria. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you like are going to use all that tuna in one day, fine. But I can't imagine, like Kramer doesn't work in a cafeteria. I can't imagine him doing that. I don't know. Jerry says that this is not for a person. This is for Biosphere 3. A little bit of a dated reference. Yeah, I didn't get that joke. Yeah. Well, I think that they, they I think they had now there was the Pauly Shore movie, right? Biodome. I think that they, they had some sort of bio something. I get confused between like the Pauly Shore movie mm-hmm. with Stephen Baldwin, I believe, was Biodome. And then there is and I think there was something that was like that. I don't know. I think it was very we are real hammer time uh, talking about the Biodome. 
Holy short. Is that the is that the one that won the Oscar or the one that was just nominated for Best Picture and lost the biodome? <laughs> yeah, I think it was just nominated. I think it won the Golden okay. Globe. <laughs> All right, All right. Do you want to guess? Do you want to guess the IMDb score for Biodome? Uh, I will say uh, eighteen. No, no, the, not Rotten Tomatoes. IMDb, so oh, it's out of ten. I, uh, so it's out of ten. Uh, then uh, I don't. I, I guess then give me uh, you know two point three. No, I don't think any movie has that low. I, I'm sorry. This game, 4.4. is like from Justin to Kelly, like the worst movie ever. Because mm-hmm. okay. some trolls will give it a 10 just to be trolls. So it's hard to get, like, anything below yeah. a 5 means unwatchable. I didn't have the troll factor baked in. Yeah, yeah. You got to get, you got to factor <laughs> in the trolls. All right. So Kramer comes across a guy, Clyde. Here's Clyde. And again, in a small town, Manhattan, where everybody knows each other, of course, these things happen all the time. Clyde is a musician who plays with John Germain, Elaine's new boyfriend. Yes, he's backup. Uh, we don't know what what I don't what what instrument does he play? I'm not sure. I don't know. So he plays backup for John Germain, and so oh, John Germain, and that's amazing because he was just talking about him upstairs with Elaine because Elaine is seeing the great John Germain, and uh, they're going out, and they are pretty hot and heavy. Yes. Again, well, a term that no one has used since this episode in January of 96. Nobody used for 15 years before this episode. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, the whole hot and heavy thing, again, is, is a, li- a little weird. I, I almost feel like that this storyline all works better if that Jerry makes some allusion to the fact that John Germain isn't doing everything in his power to make Elaine happy. Uh, like, I don't know exactly what he could have said, but it, it almost like if he said that, like, uh, like, oh yeah, I guess things are going pretty good. Like so, something where it's like, then it's sort of like where it makes sense that he's like, oh, okay, well, you know, if I knew you felt that way, I would do that. Whereas uh, there's the whole hot and heavy thing. It seems it, weird that Elaine gets so annoyed about it. And then also, that that's where it leads. Uh, right, there's just not a lot of explanation to like why it's such a big deal, and it sort of falls in this middle ground, right? Between like, I get why it's bad, but it ends up being good, and sort of why do you care in the first place? Yeah, the whole thing with me with this John Germain storyline is like, you know, I like the start, I like the finish. I feel like the journey to get there, I feel like, is a little bit. Uh, I don't necessarily understand why we go that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, all right. And, that, and that's my really my one nitpick with this episode has to do with the Elaine storyline, which is really sort of separate to everything else that happens here in the ride. Yeah, it's not one of these episodes that everything ties in together at the end. Yeah. So, so the one place where it ties in is that Jerry runs into this guy, Clyde, and says that, you know, hot and heavy. So he can't help Kramer unload the car because his hands are his life. That's a pretty good excuse. By the way, it almost makes me want to be a musician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that's someone right. asks you to help them move, listen... My hands are my life. I mean, I guess, you know, right. We, like, you don't use your hands to podcast, so mm-hmm. you can't really use that, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> you just use your mouth, so. <laughs> but you, but right. you could say, like, you, you're the drop guy also, right? You do your own drops. So you could be like, listen, these hands are my livelihood. I'm, I'm pressing edit. I'm like a DJ. You know, I, yes. I have to, I have to yes. be ready at the second's call. You know, I'm probably more like John Germain that I really make a, make a living with, uh, you know, with, with talking. Yeah, my, blowing so, a lot of hot air. Yeah. So, if I ever come on a podcast and I said I, I just sound terrible, then then uh, you have a, <laughs> an idea of what happened. Yeah, listen, 
Well, you, that's it's amazing. You've always been great. You've never been terrible on a podcast. So. <laughs> never had an probably, episode. It's probably never happened before. <laughs> never had an episode that is uh, where I'm. I, I sound terrible. All right, so at least in terms of my voice. All right. So then uh, we go to George and we see George and his parents, and uh, that George is uh, getting ready, or they're getting ready. Estelle needs George's help to uh, zip up. And we have a very funny idea of uh, the Rosses and the Costanzas meeting for the first time. Yeah, I feel like, you know, this should have been hyped for weeks. This was like a heavyweight matchup of crazy parents. Mm -hmm. And it does live up to, uh, you know, the expectations. Yeah. Estelle mentions for the first time that they're going to go meet George's in-laws. And just the thought of that is making George uh, very upset that he has in-laws now. I mean, ultimately, like, George clearly never wanted to get married. Like, he's a child. Who can't deal with things like meeting the in-laws, right? No, he cannot. So Frank Costanza is wearing a uh, a tie that's thin. He's wearing a thin tie. Estelle says, what are you doing, Frank? Wide ties are the way to go. Everybody needs a wide tie. Go to 7th Avenue. Everybody has a wide tie on. But Keith, since this episode has aired, then the skinny tie has mounted a comeback to go all the way back. I feel like that this makes me more depressed about fashion than anything else. Why? Are you pro white tie? Do you wish it would come back? No, it's just that in 10 years, somebody's going to wear a wide tie and then everyone's say, oh, why, why would you wear skinny tie? Wide sure. tie is in. It's just going. It's we're 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 on the same loop. Yeah, no, it is kind of depressing. But listen, Frank Costanza is a style icon. And he's ahead of the game here. He knows it's back. Yeah, yes. it's not a throwback for him. He's ahead of the game. No, it's just like, oh, throw out all your, throw out all your, your uh, wide ties. If you don't have a skinny tie, you're, you're not cool. And then, in, you know, in five years, it'll be, oh, get the wide ties out. Throw away the skinny ties. Yeah, now you sound like my wife trying to explain why, like, when we go to her childhood bedroom, she hasn't thrown out her pajamas from, like, 1990. Because <laughs> they're coming back? Yeah, they might come back. <laughs> <laughs> all right i so, couldn't use i i lived out of a freaking uh suitcase for two weeks because all the draw all the drawers in her room still have clothes in them from when she was in high school mm-hmm. yeah they're <laughs> coming back okay like if you really want them so much take them to our house yeah <laughs> all right frank says we have to go to schnitzer's because we need to get a marble rye i'll show these people something about taste so uh frank stands very excited to bring them a rye uh, some rye bread. Now, Keith, what's your take on the bread? That do you like a rye bread? Mm, I like rye bread, but I don't, this bread seems a little bit uh, weird to me. I'm not sure. It never looked appetizing to me. Yeah. This particular bread. What's the significance of a marble rye? That I don't get. I like rye bread, but I don't. Marble rye looks a little too fancy. I don't know. Yeah, I'm very okay on rye bread. It's really not like probably in my uh, top five bread. Ooh, top five breads. No, I don't want to do that right now. No, not necessarily. <laughs> so is, does the two parts of the marble rye, does it taste different or is it yeah, just color I, I different? I don't know. It's a good question. If anyone's ever eaten marble rye, email in and let us know. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to take a look at uh, what's the difference between, I mean, people are going to be saying, please go back to Keeve talking about the fantasy football if That's we right. get oh, into Oh, I'll go the, back. <laughs> All right. So everyone gets immunity. <laughs> yeah. All right. So marble rye, according to this is from the kitchen dot com. Uh, no E in uh, the word kitchen. Uh, marble rye. This bread is simply a bit of light rye dough and a bit of dark rye dough braided or rolled together. 
The two breads have nearly the same density, so they bake together for a uniform texture. We should point out that almost all rye breads have a certain percentage of wheat flour added to the dough. So um, I guess it's a light rye and a dark rye all together. Fascinating. The dark rye has uh, molasses and cocoa powder uh, added to it. That adds the coloring. But I wasn't allowed to talk about the Fantasy League. Well, I mean, we're doing a Seinfeld podcast about the 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 bread is is, is the rye. The episode mm-hmm. is called the rye. It's yeah. all about the marble rye. I don't think that this is out right. of bounds to talk about what a marble rye is. Yeah. Well, listen, the fantasy ruling was horse poop, so it's like it's the same episode. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> so they need to go and pick up a marble rye on the way to the Rosses, and uh, they're going to go back to Schnitzer's. I mean, bread is a gift, is a strange gift, right? Well, I think that you bring the bread to somebody's house and get to bring something. I mean, we've certainly saw this in, uh, you know, I don't remember the episode name with Drake where we had to go to Schnitzer's to pick up the, the babka. Was that Schnitzer's, though, or that wasn't named Schnitzer's, was it? I don't know if they said the name Schnitzer's, but I believe it's the same set and the same woman who works there. Yeah, but they must have changed over after that to, you know, to be a because di- it's not called Schnitzer's, I don't think. They're just I don't right, know they're using the they same TV restaurant. Yes, and the same per- and the same person who works there. Mm-hmm. All right. So, we go back now to Jerry and Elaine and they're talking and Jerry ran into Clyde who works with uh, John Germain and he says that Elaine and John were hot and heavy and Elaine immediately is upset about this. What if he tells John. Um, I, I don't, yeah, I don't understand, like, I, first of all, the odds of him telling them are 100%, right? I guess so. He's, he's not going to come back and be like, hey, you know, hey, I didn't, like, because it's a good, if it was bad news, he might not say it, but he's going to come back and say, hey, you're, you're hot and heavy. Yeah. All right. I mean, what is the guy going to say where, okay, Clyde comes back and tells John Germain, hey, I ran into some guy who says... He knows that woman you've been seeing. And they're like, well, what guy? What, what what guy does she know? Yeah, I guess it is like a fourth degree type of thing. It's, I feel like hot and heavy is like the next step after going steady in like 1974. I guess so. 64 maybe even. <laughs> or 54 yeah. probably. So, I mean, if I ran into somebody who was like, oh, I saw, you know, I was talking to your, well, I would say your wife, but it really is, uh, now we're really stretching it. But, you know, if you're dating somebody and they said, okay, oh, they said you guys are hot and heavy. Like, okay. I mean, if you like the person, I mean, what do you, what do you care? Right. It's a strange thing to say. There's no upside to saying that. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that's awkward. Okay. I mean, and it's not like that this is some guy that she just like has a crush on. I mean, they have uh, carnal knowledge of one another at this point. Yes. So I don't know. So uh, Elaine, I think, might be uh, overreacting a bit. Uh, it oh, is definitely fu- it is funny when she talks about how she's trying to get a little squirrel to come over near her. and She doesn't want to make any big sudden movements. Yeah, but she's not even really trying to get a little squirrel because she's already said it's never going to happen. Mm hmm. What well, exactly? What's her goal? She doesn't want anything that she thinks is even possible. See, uh, so, so you think she's referring to the other thing here? I almost feel like that she's just trying to get this guy to really like her. Like her? Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I don't know necessarily if that's uh, if she's. No, talking you're right. About I, that's a good point. You're right. All right. And so uh, Jerry's trying to get out of this conversation. He needs to go help Kramer. And so uh, Michael Richards does a pretty good job here with the physical comedy of basically like falling over himself, spilling cans all over the hallway. Uh yeah, uh, and where does this guy come from? Like, is does he live on this floor? I don't know who he is. 
Uh, in the script, they call him Dennis, and he wants to do uh, have Kramer do him a favor. He's going to Disneyland. He wants to know if Kramer can drive his handsome cab for the week. Why? Why is it called the handsome cab? I never knew that. <laughs> I'm not sure. Okay, but uh, he'll split the money with Kramer. In the economics of Seinfeld, is this a good deal? Yeah, it's a, I, it's a good question because. Like, what's he doing? He's putting gas mileage on the horse, like, no pun intended. You know, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it's free money, it, you know, for this guy, but Kramer should probably get 75%. You think Kramer should get a bigger the horse percentage. is just sitting there. Yeah. Anything the guy is getting is just, you know, there's not a lot of wear and tear on the horse. So yeah. anything the guy's getting is just bonus money. I mean, where does the horse live when he's not? Where's Rusty live? Is he just in a stable somewhere? <laughs> does he park him on the street every night like Kramer does? Yeah. I mean, God forbid something happens to Rusty, and I guess something does happen in this episode. I mean, this guy is probably out a lot of money. Does somebody else own the horse? I have so many questions about the yeah, handsome it's a good cab question. Like, driver. you rent the horse for the handsome cab, probably. Yeah. And then who owns the horse? Is there a guy who owns the horses, who rents them out for handsome cab drivers? And where do they park the handsome cab? And is there horse insurance also, if something bad happens to the horse? Yeah. Or if the horse, like, uh, crashes into a car. Like, uh, like, the, like if I'm a, if I'm a car driver and the horse puts like a hoof through my windshield, uh, is that, am I just covered for my own insurance? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I don't know. What if the horse Maybe bites horse somebody? Expert. Yeah. We could get a, uh, we could, you know, I'm trying to think if we have a horse expert on the, uh, I'm not sure we <laughs> I don't do. I think we have a horse correspondent, a horse respondent, something, there's no something boy. there. There's something there. All right. No, absolutely. <laughs> nothing there. I think it should be, things should be deleted. Yeah. I think Scott has got to cut that. So we go back to now uh, dinner at the Rosses and uh, Cornish game hens all around. Uh, Keeve, did it look good to you? Eh, it, so- it sounds better than it, than it looks. It's a lot of work with those uh, Cornish hens. Uh, yo, I mean, I would never cook them, but I don't know. To, I don't yeah, even, even know to, to make eat eggs. Them, I think that you know, the smaller the the bird. I think the more you have to sort of like really like cut and, uh, you know, it's, you know, the nice big turkey or something like that. You sort of just like slice it and, uh, you know, there's plenty of meat to go around. You're really right. working around a lot of the stuff there. But I, I would also be like too distracted by who the hor- the bird had been sleeping with after this conversation to even want to eat anything. <laughs> so we have a lot of stuff going on here with the Rosses and the Costanzas here at dinner. And everybody is sort of just like talking about their own thing. And so uh, we have uh, first we have uh, Mrs. Ross, who are is uh, Mr. And Mrs. Ross taking shots at one another where the Costanzas seem like they have the better marriage here in this scene. Uh, Mr. Ross says, don't compliment her. She didn't make it. The maid make it or the housekeeper made it. And uh, Mrs. Ross is, uh, you know, she's taking shots back and forth at Mr. Ross. Uh, we talk a lot about the game bird uh, that it was uh, hunted to to kill it. Um, Estelle is asking about the library. Mrs. Ross says he's never read any of those books. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you forget, you know, right. We talk about how crazy the Costanzas are, but the Rosses are absolutely awful. They're and terrible. They're just totally nuts in this in this episode in particular. They're terrible to each other. Estelle asks about Merlot. She says she never heard of it. Did they just invent it? Which is really... Uh, um, you know, it's not like she asks like a kind of dumb question. I mean, that this is uh, almost unfathomable that Estelle has not heard of Merlot. 
Yeah, very strange question. Yeah, it's almost Asked like weirdly. Yeah, if there was like some sort of like high end wine. I mean, Merlot is such a you know a generic type of wine. She has to have heard of Merlot. Um. Yeah, and it's also like weird to know that you've never heard of it, and I, like that it's not just like a brand name or something. I don't know. Right. I, I think they should have gone with some sort of like high end wine or something like that that she's never she's never heard of. But um. Okay. And George is like, no, of course, she's joking. Of course, she's heard of Merlot. Uh, so Frank wants to know about the hen, the chicken, and the rooster. Who's having sex with the hen? Keeve, is this a subject that you knew the answer to before Frank Costanza explored this? Oh, no, I've never thought about these things. I still haven't thought about them. I don't care. No, it comes up a lot from when the survivors get chickens and a rooster. And then talking about... Um, what do they need to do to have eggs? What do you need? And I think that there's like two camps of people, people that just don't care and people that are sort of like incredulous when you don't know the answer to this question. Right. I'm, I'm in the, uh, I'm in the category of like, I never thought about it. I don't care. I don't, I don't know. Like think that I'm stupid for not knowing it. I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Uh, so Mr. Ross explains that the rooster has sex with all of them. And Frank Costanza says, that's perverse. (laughs) (laughs) So George wants to know if anybody saw Firestorm. Mr. Ross uh, is really into Firestorm. Were you surprised that Mr. Ross was that into like an action movie? Like I kind of feel like they, they painted the Rosses to be so sort of like highbrow upper crust. I'm surprised that he likes the same movie as George and doesn't like look down his nose at George for liking Firestorm. Um, It doesn't seem like his type of thing, but wouldn't you want to go to every movie and get out of the house if you were married to yeah. Mrs. Russ? I guess so. And Mr. Russ, like, remember when they had the helicopter on top of the car and uh, Frank Stanton gets mad? No spoilers. Yeah, one of the first, like, spoiler <laughs> alert things in uh, in modern pop culture. Yeah, and Mr. Russ says that it doesn't have anything to do with the plot. I don't care. I like to go in fresh. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we now see Kramer driving around the handsome cab he's talking about how uh, joe pepitone basically designed central park there's a deleted scene where kramer is first getting the uh handsome cab did it bother you at all where kramer suddenly knows how to drive a handsome cab in this episode uh did it bother me uh um, we really yada yada the handsome cab training program uh yeah I, I was like yeah there's no way i'd be able to do it i feel like kramer has this weird unique set of skills you know, we almost had this with Kramer with the fire truck a couple of weeks ago where Kramer yeah, and the bus. I mean, Kramer drove the city bus. I guess that's easier. Like I, it's just driving a bus. But when he, when he tells the story about driving the bus and fighting off the mugger. Yeah. So Kramer certainly like looks at things and says, OK, how hard could it be to do this? And I've seen it done. But in this instance, it really he has no issues with driving. He doesn't know what to feed the horse. But or maybe he does know what to feed the horse, but he doesn't want to let his beefarino go to waste. But he has no issue whatsoever controlling the horse of the handsome cat. Uh, yeah, it, I, I agree. I hadn't thought about it. It's a good point. He shouldn't be able to do if it's so easy <laughs> that, you know, anyone could do it. Yeah. All right. So we go back to now uh, Elaine at the jazz club and John Germain has a new song he wants to play. It's uh, his latest and it's called Hot and Heavy. Yeah, who knew you could just do a whole new jazz song in like a day? Yeah, I guess it's just uh, e- easy. You just sort of like uh, it's improv. You just play. You're playing jazz. That's what you just sort you know, of like was, come up come up with it on the spot. I was thinking about like Elaine has to go to this jazz club all the time to watch her boyfriend do it, and I was thinking of like the worst job for your spouse to have that you'd have to go to that job to watch her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
I mean, jazz is up there for me. To like have to watch someone do jazz a lot would be atrocious. Well, I think the life of the stand-up comedian is not unlike that, where your spouse, like I, I don't think your spouse is going with you, but you know, no, you're spouse someone. rarely goes on tour with you. Like if maybe if you're doing like a stadium tour, you bring your wife. Mm-hmm. But it's generally not. Uh, it doesn't make sense to. First of all, a lot of those people are single or they have families. Like it would be weird to bring your wife on tour with you. Nobody does it. Yeah. Like when you're just going to comedy clubs across the country because you're coming home. You're not doing seven nights a week like a rock concert. You're generally doing like weekends or maybe a long weekend. And then you're coming home for a few days before you go to your next gig anyway. Keith, at the point where that John Germain writes a song called Hot and Heavy, should Elaine still be concerned that she's almost like that reacts negatively to the fact that he made a song called Hot and Heavy where it's like, oh, my God. Oh, the, well, the, obviously, he doesn't like me. He's like making fun of me by calling the song Hot and Heavy. Right. And so this is a little bit, she could fear it's a little bit of a Taylor Swift thing where it's like a rip, a diss song. You know, he it doesn't you can't sound tell like a diss no song. Lyrics. Well, you, or oh, you know jazz enough to know what sounds like a diss song? Yeah, I think I do. I think I know <laughs> from music if it sounds like, hey, I did, this is a song called Hot and Heavy that's good or a song called Hot and Heavy that's bad. All right. That's insane. <laughs> Whoa. How is that insane? If, if it was, <laughs> who knows? We don't know anything about jazz. <laughs> I think that you could tell by the tone. It's like, I don't speak Chinese, but if I saw a person that was happy with someone or somebody that was unhappy with somebody speaking mm-hmm. in Chinese, I think I could tell. Okay. Um, all right. I'll take your word for it. Fine. So, yeah, I, but your overall point still makes sense. Yeah. I think that Hot and Heavy, the name of the song is a good thing. Uh, yeah. Okay. Overall, I think you, you have to lean towards good. I'm, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with you here. All right. So... George is in the car with Frank and Estelle. They're coming home from uh, the Rosses, and they're very upset. They didn't even put out a piece of cake. Would it have killed them to put out some cake? Keeve, are you Team Ross or Team Costanza here? I mean, I- I've spent 120 episodes being anti-cake, but if they put out pie, I'd be all over it. Okay. Do you think that they had cake and they didn't put it out because they just yes. did not like the Costanza? They just wanted them to go home. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course. It's like, oh, we could have brought out cake, but then we would have been stuck with these insane people for another half hour. Mm-hmm. That's not happening. They had an emergency cake in the fr- They had a closer. Mm-hmm. They just didn't use it. You know, you want to save it for another day. What about it was eight nothing? Not putting the bread out on the table. Should the, the, the bread needs to be served uh, with the meal, right? Was that an oversight or was it? Over, I think would- don't we see Mrs. Ross say, whoops, we didn't serve the bread. She I does- mean, she's drunk by the time the meal starts, probably. So. Yeah. She does say, uh, oh, dear, I forgot to put out that that bread that they bought. So, so. Yeah, she, uh, like if she really wanted it, if it was like a bottle of wine, she would have remembered. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was malice, but it was she wasn't super interested in the bread. Yeah, the Rosses are too good for the marble rye. I mean, it's not like that the Costanzas brought over like a loaf of Wonder Bread and said, OK, right. put this out on the table. I mean, I mean, where do you go to get high end bread? Right. And it's from the city. It's not some junky Queens bread. I wouldn't I'm not saying it would be junky. That <laughs> I'm just saying the Rosses would look down yeah, on the does, junky it seems Queens like bread. That, I don't know how much more high end you're going to get than, you know, a marble rye from the bakery. Yeah, no, I think nothing is more high end than schnitzers. <laughs> it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty up there. I mean, it's probably not the top of the top. I'm sure it's not like where Chester goes to get bread. But Oh, forget I, it. Yeah, <laughs> I, but I think it's still probably pretty good. They could put it on the table. Yeah, I agree. No? I agree. It's, yeah, I, I think they just forgot. They weren't super interested in the bread. They already had a full meal of food and they forgot to serve it. Yeah. I mean, they're having, you know, a, a Cornish hen. It wasn't like they were having like some sort of like a caviar type. Uh, I mean, it wasn't like the most uh, bougie dinner imaginable. 
Um, no, I th- yeah, I mean, listen, it's also you catered your company. They know coming in at least a little bit that the Costanzas aren't bougie people. So you mm-hmm. have to work down to their level. Yeah. All right. So George ends up finding the rye in the car uh, in the back seat. Does you stole the bread? And Frank says, no, I was. I didn't steal it. They didn't eat it. Why should we leave it there? Uh, I mean, I, I get it. It makes sense. Yeah. You, you know, we've been places where we've given them a bottle of wine and they didn't serve it. And I, we've never taken the wine back. It's usually they probably had another bottle of wine they were planning on serving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that Frank Costanza completely out of line here. Of course, it's stealing. <laughs> it's literally stealing. <laughs> All right. So we see Jerry and George at Monk's and it's a little bit of the retelling of what happened. Jerry can't believe that he stole the rye. Um, I mean, it's it, I, I could. First of all, it, it's the Costanzas. Like, there's nothing that Frank should do that you can't believe. You should mm-hmm. be able to believe this. Yeah. Now, let me just ask one question just to go back to that. So George goes home with his parents. Susan stays with the Rosses. Yeah. Isn't that bizarre that I mean, George and Susan live together. Yes. Why? Yes. Why? Like and, it's, and George, like, uh, I don't believe George is driving. Right. George is in the back seat while Frank is yeah, driving. It's weird. They, they both need to, like, regroup and talk about, uh, you know, like how it went. <laughs> yeah. Now, did you ever ha- I guess I think someone asked this, but it's relevant now, like. Did you ever have like the parents meeting for the first time or your parents knew each other? Uh, I think that they knew each other, that my parents and Nicole's parents to some degree because uh, that Nicole was my sister's friend and that's how they met. But, um, you know, I'm not going to say it's ever like uh, not awkward when you have the sets of in-laws together. Oh, it's still awkward? I mean, I think that, you know, that for whatever reason, it's, you know, I, I think maybe you have some sets of in-laws where it's like they get along famously. Sure. Uh, I mean, we're not talking like Rosses and Costanzas, but um, right, right. this is always a little, it's always a little weird. Interesting. Yeah. So we, we had a very formal, like, sit down in an Italian restaurant the first time they ever met. Mm-hmm. Like, we had met each other's parents, of course, but like, you know, they went to, they get, went to dinner to like, I guess, talk about us getting married and the wedding and whatever. Uh, but it was like very formal and it was awkward. Like, they do a kosher Italian restaurant. Yeah. Wow. They do kosher Italian. Um, I th- uh, it was kind of it was kind of strange, but um, uh, you know, now, now first of all, they live they don't live near each other, so it wasn't so awkward. Actually, my my sister, who's married, parents and my parents are very close. They became really good friends. Yeah. All right. Well, they like hang out together. That's nice if you can get so it. That's not awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Because. Yeah. I think that really the, the tension comes down to like, well, what are, are they going to be at my house next or at your house next? Well, right. At first, it's especially if you're young, like when you get married, it's like, all right, who's paying for this wedding? So mm-hmm. there's a lot of money changing hands possibly between the parents. Yeah. You know, I was 20 when I got married. I wasn't paying for my wedding. So it was both of our parents were you mm-hmm. know, splitting it in some form. So that's like so then like the first time you're meeting someone, you're talking about like tens of thousands of dollars with them. That's awkward. Yeah. Nobody wants, you know. But right after, I think now long term, the stage we're in, it's just like, hey, how come you're coming to our house and not there? And how come I get three days and they get six days? That sort of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a really funny line that's also in the discovery that the rye is missing where the Rosses are talking. And uh, Susan says, like, who would bring a bread and uh, take it back? And uh, Mr. Ross says, those people, that's who (laughs) they they would do that. (laughs) Yeah, oh, they're well aware immediately of what the Costanzas are. Yeah. All right. So George is really sympathizing with the Rosses, though, about like, why would uh, your dad do that? Jerry asks him. And George says, because he's off his rocker. 
and they're very suspicious. And George says that now, because of the rye bread, he has to keep them separated his whole life. He wishes there was some way that he could just get a rye from Schnitzer's in that house. Uh, yeah, really, you know, George, a master of schemes here. It doesn't seem like he's got a lot in the tank for this scheme. Yeah. All right. Well, Jerry says, well, don't worry. We'll get them out of the house uh, and then we can sneak a rye in there and then that will solve all the problems. I mean, I think that George is probably a little too focused on the rye. I mean, he could stock the Ross's house with marble rye. It's not going to do anything to repair the relationship between the Rosses and the Costanzas. Yes, the rye is a metaphor in his mind, but he doesn't realize that the bread has been pulled apart and ripped in 50 different directions already. Yes. Uh, the horse has uh, left the stable to go out and uh, <laughs> go be a handsome <laughs> cab with Kramer. That's right. All right. So Jerry ends up saying that, hey, what about Kramer? He's got the handsome cab. Uh, and you would think that Jerry would know better to get Kramer involved with this scam, but uh, that nobody's thinking that way. And it's the Ross's anniversary. So we end up with uh, setting up a handsome cab for the Rosses. Uh, yeah, they are really touched by this at first. Yeah. It's, they're really, it's a nice gesture. It's not a bad idea. It's a good idea. So Jerry asks the question, what about Susan? And George says, oh, she's working late that night. Hold on. Let's uh, back up yes. the horse a minute. Yeah. What, what is Susan's job? Yeah, right now we don't know. What does she do that she works late on Friday nights? Uh, I mean, she's not a TV executive anymore. No. No. So maybe we'll find that in another week or two. But right now, she, as of last time we heard, she did not have a job. She not only has a job, she has a job where she has to work late on Friday nights. Maybe she works as like a cashier at Schnitzer's. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah, they are open late. But Jerry doesn't see her there uh, when he goes over. All right. So now we end up seeing Kramer and uh, that he is eating a big can of the old beefarino. Uh, I mean, it sounds so unappetizing. I yeah. can't imagine what yeah, that how we could eat it. Now, I think that the beefarino is some sort of you know Seinfeld universe version of some sort of Chef Boyardee product. Akiva, have you ever had anything like that? A spaghettios or anything? Any yeah, sort of I've like? Had, I'm sure I've had something like that. Yeah, yeah. I really, I never have. You never had spaghettios? No, no. I think that it was really like um a um a horrifying thought for uh for my parents uh i think uh I, but actually really both my parents i was gonna say my mom especially but i think that the idea uh the sacrilege that you could uh put pasta and uh and sauce into a can and serve that it's almost like the worst thing you could possibly serve a person i hear you so like they're above that culturally they they, they could make the pasta they make in their house would be so much better than that. Right, right. For I think for an Italian person to be eating uh, some sort of Chef Boyardee, right. I think that they would say, like, uh, right. who raised you? It would be you? like me eating a hollow out of a can. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> okay. So just the, uh, the, the idea. Matzo ball soup. <laughs> right. It would just never be bought in my house, and then, uh, you know, we've never had it, like, as a school lunch or at somebody else's house. So and I get it. I get it. Yeah. Never looked at appetizing. I never looked at stuff like that and said, oh, I wish I could have it. That makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, you're not, you're not missing anything. No, I'm not way. missing anything. Um, I'm sure my son would not think twice about eating it. Oh, of course. No, he's generations removed at this point. <laughs> yeah. And then it wouldn't stop him. 
Uh, so we're seeing Kramer. He's eating the big can of beefarino. He has uh, 50 cans of this stuff. Now, we saw Kramer's car earlier in the episode. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, did Kramer make multiple trips to the Price Club? I would say either he's made multiple trips, like he's going every Saturday, or the entire backseat of the car was beefarino. <laughs> Yeah, you would think that the car wouldn't even be able to drive if you had 50 cans. Yeah, these things are heavy. Cans. Yeah, I guess you're right. So what, what's the issue for Kramer? I mean, the idea of canned food is that it's supposed to keep for a long time. Is it just the idea that once you open the can, you have to eat all that beefarino in a couple of days? I'm not I'm not sure the, the like the reason I, I do think like the idea like here's a guy who never has any food in his house. Mm-hmm. So now this now this idea that he could have tons of food in his house, he goes a little crazy with it. It didn't even want a refrigerator at one point because that was causing him to have uh, the the stones. Right. I think, you know, I, I, to him, it's like he's almost like a kid who just got out of college and he's like, wow, I have to make a house for the first time. OK. And he's just going he's going overboard on the food. All right, so Jerry and George are talking about the Schnitzer's rye. How are they going to get it into the house? Jerry is going to stop by Schnitzer's, and he will get the rye and come at five after seven. Are they leaving themselves enough time, Keeve? Is that a, a problem with this plan from the jump? Yeah, I, I think that, that the time frame is very tight here, and you're relying on a very unreliable person in Kramer doing something that he's not really familiar with doing, which is driving a handsome cab. Again, nowadays, text message, cell phone, I think you'd have uh, much fewer problems, but this really has oh, to yeah. be Oh, yeah, you could live stream this whole thing. Yeah. Well, you ideally, you wouldn't want to because then uh, the Rosses... Oh, could, I don't think wise. the Rosses are finding out about They're this They're not stuff. following George on Periscope? Oh, I don't, I don't think anyone's following anybody on Periscope <laughs> anymore. <laughs> you think Periscope's done? Oh, Periscope is done. Yeah, Periscope, it's I don't even... Done? I, don't, I think... I don't even think they're adding updates to Periscope anymore. What? Yeah, Periscope is finished. It's over? Well, Meerkat was the first one. Periscope killed Meerkat. Yeah, and Periscope's I'm, over I'm already? Sure. Oh, maybe not. I don't I don't think they're adding any more to it. But why why no, why do you say that? Are you just are you just talking out of your butt or you I'm know? pretty sure I heard that. But uh, uh I just think how do you monetize Periscope? That I think you tell people to go do things. What does that mean? Like how 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 do you make money off that? They haven't even figured out Twitter hasn't even figured out how to make money on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that live streaming is still a big deal, Keeve. Yeah, but I don't know if I think it's going to be through Facebook. I don't think it's going to be for I don't think Twitter's winning that war. We'll see. I, I had a I had a I had like a premonition last night when I was in bed. OK, I think Twitter's pretty much wrapping up in this first stage. I think they have to sell themselves like Yahoo to a Facebook or a Google or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think you're that's quite an original thought. I think, uh, you know, that the idea. Of- oh, no, for sure. But I, I just I'm, I saw a few things last night and I realized like, oh, this company just can't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All these people bragging about their Twitter verification, uh, you know, it won't be worth uh, a hill of beefarino in about three years. Uh, yes, uh, <laughs> I, you might be right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so we can talk more about this, uh, some other time we can go through, uh, do a review of all the different social networks that ever existed after we get done with Seinfeld. MySpace making a comeback. Yeah. This week, uh, I was with, uh, Scott St. Pierre. We were touring the, uh, Warner Brothers lot. We went on a tour this week while Scott was in Los Angeles and I stopped by the friend set that they have. Ooh, you get any good pictures? <laughs> yeah, I took a picture we were going to send to you as the cover art for the Friends recap. Uh, is Scott a big Friends fan? <laughs> I think he's probably a so-so Friends fan, but I was just yeah to sell you on the idea of going right into the uh, 195 Friends episodes. 
I mean, the thing about Friends is I haven't seen a lot of the episodes, so that would be exciting. Oh, it would be the first time for you. But I think it would be insulting to the fans that, like, there's so many hardcore Friends fans. To have someone who's never seen the show be, like, the representative, <laughs> to me, I feel like that would be almost a slap in their face. Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, we already slapped the Seinfeld fans in their face. I don't know if we need to Repeatedly. do it with Friends fans. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, so Elaine ends up coming in, and she's still mad at Jerry about this. She's like, well, you really did me in this time. Uh, the first guy I liked in a long time, we were getting along, everything's great, and you had to come along with your hot and your heavy. First off, uh, poor uh, Spongeworthy guy. Uh, only, what, two episodes ago, she met this guy who she deemed Spongeworthy. He seemed like he was willing to clean his tub and do all these things. Elaine didn't even really like that guy. Why, she liked him enough for one sponge, but she said he wasn't worthy of multiple sponges. I guess so. So the first guy that she liked in a long time. And so Elaine is mad. He wrote a song about it. Um, it's probably a big problem with dating musician is well, that they could just get back with like, I mean, we could do it too. Like, so you could, someone could upset you and you could go write a whole like slam podcast about why they suck. Yeah. Anyway, so... Jerry tries to spin it like I am and saying, well, maybe it's a good thing. She says, no, it's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. Do you know what it's like to have no control over the relationship and you feel sick to your stomach all the time? You know what that's like? So Elaine feels like that she has no hand here. Oh, no hand. She's in her mind. She has no hand. Really? She has no mouth. Yeah, no mouth. That's the bigger problem. (laughs) She may have hand, but no mouth. And so, uh, yeah, do you know what that's like? And uh, Jerry ends up saying that, no, I've read articles about it. And it seems like it doesn't sound very pleasant. Now, we start to uh, begin this idea of that, you know, one of these days, something terrible is going to happen to Jerry. And he says, no, he'll be just fine. Has anything really terrible happened to Jerry? What's the worst thing that ever happened to Jerry so far through seven seasons of Seinfeld? I didn't get kicked off a plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. N- really, really nothing that terrible. In uh, the yeah. way helper Poughkeepsie. Right, nothing that terrible. Pool. Yeah, I mean, he he had what's his name in his house? He had Chickless in his house. That was pretty <laughs> bad. Chickless, uh, show up at his house. I'm trying to think, uh, maybe the listeners can tell us what's the worst thing that's happened to I, he Jerry. He was pretty so mad. Far. That's a, yeah, it is a good question for the listeners. Uh, you know, getting outed seemed like a big deal to him. He didn't like that. Yeah, not that there's anything wrong with it. No, 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 no. Yeah, and there was a bunch of times where he there was a woman that he liked that he didn't get to have. Uh, a, right, but that happens so much. Like, can he even remember all these women at a certain point? We no. can't. Like, <laughs> no, probably not. All right. Well, we end up then with uh, George meeting up with the Rosses, and then Elaine sort of sets up that there's some sort of a big showcase coming up for for John that the record the record label in a pre YouTube world. Uh, people used to have to come to your shows and sit there and wait and watch Ooh. you live. They couldn't just see it. Sounds tape awful. Of you. Yeah. It sounds terrible. All right. So we end up now with uh, George with the Rosses. The Rosses seem like honestly, like really touched and moved by this idea of that George got them the handsome cab. Yeah. I mean, listen, Susan, uh, Mrs. Ross is sort of between drinks and she's in an okay mood for a second here. Mm hmm. Yeah. And so then uh, they're saying, like, George, you look a little nervous. Everything okay? It's like, no, everything is fine. And uh, they want to get, uh, he wants a glass of water. And she says, well, we've got water. We don't have any bread, though. We have water. Shots fired. <laughs> Shots fired. All right. So we see then Kramer feeding Rusty the horse uh, some, be- some of the beefarino. Uh, yeah, I love the beefarino song that Kramer sings. It's my favorite. <laughs> How does it go? He says, uh, there you go. That's a beefarino. I'm so keno. On Beefarino, 
What a delicious cuisino fit for a king and queeno. And Rob Sisternino. That's right. And he's got 34 more cans, though. So keep eating. Hold on a second. How the hell did Kramer go through 16 cans of beefarino (laughs) so far in this episode? I'd say eight for him, eight for Rusty. (laughs) Wow. That's why Rusty's got a big problem here. (laughs) You know, Dennis is coming back from Florida and that horse is going to be dead. I mean, listen, Dennis is a buffoon. He gave his livelihood to Kramer. Yeah, this is going to be the last trip to Disneyland for Dennis and his family. Oh, that's true. I was First of all, when he says that, I'm like, wow, like a handsome cab driver can afford to take his whole family to Disney World. But yes, <laughs> you know, not anymore. Sorry, Dennis. Not anymore. Not anymore. Well, he says that they could make like $500 a day. Right, right. So he said well, he claims that it's that it's all profit. But you'd assume he has to pay unless he owns Rusty outright. He's paying some stable a lot of money plus horse food when you're not feeding them cheap beefarino probably isn't cheap either it's got to keep it somewhere at night even if he owns rusty right so he's got to pay for storage or whatever you'd call it you know a, a, a you know, horse hotel if i don't know if they have that in manhattan yeah <laughs> all right so george is waiting for the handsome cab and finally here comes kramer uh ar- around the corner all right, so uh, we end up going to see Jerry at Schnitzer's, and he's trying to get the rye, and uh, the woman in front of Jerry gets the last one. Um, the What's it called? The, I, to me, it's like, I would have, I, I don't know. I, there's nothing that, George, that Jerry can do here, but can't you just get a marble rye from a different store and say it's from Schnitzer's? They don't know the Schnitzer's marble rye. That's true, but it is seven o'clock on Friday night. We have a limited time frame. I don't know how many bakeries are still open at this time. Who else has a marble ride? But you're right. Had it been sort of like a, if Jerry said, okay, you know what? Uh, let me take a loaf of the uh, challah bread and let's just shove that in the kitchen. Are, are the Rosses going to say, hold on a second. This is not a marble rye. Uh, no, I don't think they're, I think they're going to throw it in the garbage. Even if they find it, it's old bread at this point. They're just going to toss it after not looking at it for, for more than two seconds. Right. If they, if they throw this, uh, this loaf of whatever, you know, Italian bread, whatever they end up getting, as long as it's not sort of like a French baguette, I think that then they will say that, oh, I guess here it is. Um, I, I, it's going to the garbage. They, mm-hmm. First of all, it comes from the Costanzas. They could care less about it. Yeah. All right. So then uh, this is the same woman who we saw back when uh, they came to the bakery to get the chocolate babka and the cinnamon babka. And uh, we see Jerry uh, telling the woman that he will pay double for the marble rye. But she must really like her marble rye. Um, it's crazy. He offers her 50 there has to be a price that Mabel Choate, this lady, would have agreed to, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, if he goes to 100 instead of mugging her, at a certain point, like, unless she's just so rich and she doesn't want this crazy person's money, or she doesn't trust to give it to her, like, if Jerry says $1,000, and again, it's worth literally $0 to Jerry, so I'm not sure why he'd say that, but if Jerry says $1,000, is she still saying no? Well, I think at a certain age you reach where the marble rye means more to you than the money. Or she has yes. so much money <laughs> that the marble rye still means more to her. Like, that's like, you know, I had my heart set on marble rye. There is no dollar figure you could offer me. Right. But you could go back in the morning and buy 100 marble ryes with what does the marble rye cost? Do we know? Six dollars, I believe. OK, so I mean, what you could buy so many marble ryes with with a thousand bucks if Jerry's paying you. Yeah, you could. But she just wanted that one. Yeah, and- I found 
not to be ageist, but I found sometimes much older people are not super flexible. Mm-hmm. So it's it's if you ask me, if I was walking on the street with like Chinese food and someone was like, "Hey, I'll give you a hundred bucks for the wonton soup," they wouldn't even have, like before they even said "oop," it would be in their hands. Yeah, but I, I, the older you are, I think the less likely you are to agree with a deal like that. But this isn't even like a negotiation where she's saying a thousand dollars. I mean, she's just right. saying no, 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 and she doesn't even like ask how much do you got. Absolutely not. Uh, it's just she's saying no. And uh, that Jerry ends up very famous scene. He says, you know, give me that rye. I want that rye. And she's saying, someone help. And Jerry rips the marble rye out of her hands and says, shut up, you old bag. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Again, this is a famous shot. The Jerry running off with the rye. I feel like that you see this in any sort of Seinfeld clip package. Jerry running away with the rye. Um. Yeah, a famous, famous scene. There's just, there's no coming back from this for Jerry. He <laughs> mugs an old lady. Yeah. And calls her a name. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that this is a moment in the show's history that's uh, n- not just iconic, but it's like one of these things where it's like the equivalent to like in one of these like serialized dramas, like the first moment that like the protagonist like kills somebody. Listen, this old lady, Mabel Choate, is literally the first person called to the stand in the finale. And I think that's <laughs> fitting. Yeah, yeah. There's no one who has a bigger gripe. Even the fat guy they're laughing at, the reason for the case in the in the first place. No one has a bigger gripe than even, you know, getting deported has nothing on literally being mugged. Yeah, this is like an irredeemable moment that there is no coming back from it. Even though it's that he's trying to help out his friend Jerry rips the rye from her hands and isn't like, I'm so sorry. I just need this so badly. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He rips it away from her and says, shut up, you old bag. (laughs) It's crazy that they let they let their protagonist do this. Now, what if he had slapped 100 in her hand? She said no to 50 and then taken it. That makes it a little bit better, right? Anything he could do would make it a little better. I mean, <laughs> short of like him like clubbing her over the head and also doing this. <laughs> yeah, I think I think if he gives her a hundred bucks, it's not as bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm surprised that there aren't charges pressed. I'm surprised she doesn't go back to the bakery and sort of gives. Well, she his doesn't know what he looks like because it comes up again soon uh, in the Cadillac, and you know she's you know she's going to be down in Florida. And play a pivotal role in another episode before the finale, Mabel. Okay, um, but I, you know, she doesn't totally know what Jerry looks like in the dark. Okay, so she would not be good in that facial recognition quiz if we're going to no, email. She's probably that better than me, but she she get a hard in forty two, but probably lower than Rob. Yeah. All right. So Elaine shows up at the club before the big performance, and uh, she says, "Hey, look, I'm sorry to show up." But, you know, I just wanted to uh, tell you that I never told Jerry hot and heavy. I didn't think we were hot and heavy. I mean, who's hot and who's heavy? And uh, he's bummed out. He was excited when Clyde said hot and heavy. Uh, Yeah, she totally read this wrong. Mm hmm. Yeah. And so he basically turns this into, look, I got a couple hours to kill before the show. My place is a few blocks away from here. And it seems weird that Elaine doesn't know that because she's right, like, why did she say really? I, I always thought the really was for like, really, you want to go do this now? Because mm-hmm. it's weird that she wouldn't know where he lives. Right. That's too weird. <laughs> weird. So he says, uh, I've been thinking about what we do and I'm thinking of adding a new number to my repertoire. And Elaine is excited. So 
Keith, let's let's attempt to somehow tastefully talk this through. Okay, so sure. So, what is the the holdup here for John? Is is this that this is just not a number that he performs? Does he does does he need to like it? Does he need to be in in a certain mood? Does he? What what's the issue here? Is this just not with her or not with anyone? Is it is it similar to Clyde with the hands possibly? And now he's like, all right, I, I realize I can't keep doing this. It this seems not odd if that was the case, where yeah. it's like, hey, uh, this part of my anatomy is my livelihood. I don't put it just anywhere. I don't do just mm-hmm. anything with yeah. it because I have to uh, be very protective of it. It seems like right before a major showcase would be an odd time for him to experiment. Um, I would say it's uh, yes, but does he really think that like in, in his heart of hearts, does he really think that this is going to affect his performance on something that he's been working on his whole life? Mm. I don't know. It also seems like that this is unfamiliar territory for him. Later on in the episode, we see in the tag that Elaine says, no, no, it was fine. Just don't try so hard later. Uh, the uh, the idea that he's a saxophone player, I do feel like that that uh, not necessarily while both uh, it seems like, a, you know, radically uh, different technique. I think that would be between the, the two things. So I'm not sure if necessarily that they're like a like like the learning curve is any less steep for him. It it almost seems like that this was just a thing for whatever reason he never seemed to be involved in. But maybe he could sense that this was something that Elaine wanted. Like it's almost yeah. I just wish that instead of hot and heavy, it was something where he could sort of infer that this was something that she wanted. Like it was not all that it could be with him or everything was fine except for this one thing. Mm hmm. And uh, yeah, it's interesting, but we don't I don't think we have enough information on the table to give an accurate answer. But we could guess we don't. But it just does not seem like that there's any explanation other than for whatever reason, he was never predisposed to be attempting something like this before. I mean, maybe he hasn't been in a lot of relationships either. Mm, I guess it's possible. Maybe he was just in love with his work. That's right. Yeah. Is that possible that he was mm-hmm. so he That's was so invested? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so he was just so focused on his work. He really never had time for any sort of a, you know, uh, you know, a lot of physical relationships or maybe they were sort of just like a one night stands. He hadn't really been in a relationship. And maybe this is something that he might only consider doing in a relationship or maybe the right. fact that he was not so willing to do this led to him getting dumped. Uh, yeah, it's. I just don't have a good answer, but it is a good question. Well, he's a very good-looking guy. You would think that he would probably be meeting. And musicians generally clean up in this sort of scenario. Yes, yes. Uh, now here's. Uh, here, let me throw out another theory here. Uh, okay. Mr. John, the musician, incredibly good-looking guy, in a position that you think that commonly many women want to be uh, around this sort of person. Great-looking musician you would think he has no problem meeting women is the issue for john that because the this all happens to come so easily to him and and, and, in he doesn't have to put any work in you're saying right right Right. i think listen i think if we could go back to an old podcast favorite i think tom likas would say you should never do that 
Well, I don't want to have a like as fast. I'm just saying that uh, that for uh, somebody like you know, uh, only speaking for myself here, I think yeah. I'd say like uh, you know uh, that the there is a there is a lot of try on my part. Uh, I'm saying all, that you have to be all hands on deck. It's like game seven right. every every time. Right. I'm gonna I hear throw out saying. the kitchen sink. Sure. Just, uh, for Mr. Good-looking John, the musician, yeah. he's like, eh, I, I'm just going to sit here. Yeah. So no maybe that's a required. Yeah, no, yeah. I think that is. I think that is. Minimal effort from, yeah. <laughs> from Mr. John. <laughs> but maybe he really likes Elaine. Yeah, that's why he's changing his mind. It's, and maybe an that's rule, why that once he finds out that she was hot and heavy, that he was willing to willing to do something that he might not have been willing to do with somebody that uh, he was not hot and heavy with. Right, he was cold and light with. <laughs> cold and light, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's in the mix for the hashtag, I think. Okay. Cold okay. and light. How I like my coffee as well. All right, so then uh, let's go back to now. Uh, we end up seeing the Rosses in the handsome cab with Kramer. And I must say that I do appreciate how tastefully they did this scene because they easily could have gone heavy with the sound effects and i don't believe yes. that there is even a no. flatulent sound effect no, no, in this episode no, they, they don't show you the poop they don't they don't make the noises they do a good job yeah and you i still appreciate get a that. feeling for how gross it is though it, it's wonderful like i i remember uh, i feel like i watched this episode with my parents and i feel like i you know i could still like you know my, remember my my father cracking up about all of this so they nailed it and they didn't have to go uh, like super obscene with it. Yeah, no, it's a good lesson for you future uh, sitcom writers out there. Right. Because it's, again, tough to tastefully do any sort of like the uh, the fart jokes. But they, yeah, re- well, they smell really is a hard it. thing to convey also. Yeah. Everybody does a good job. The Rosses, uh, Mr. Ross, like you can tell that they're smelling. So Michael Richards does a great job. And, um, you know, it starts off by asking, like, uh, you know, how, you know, how's everything? Uh, you know, what do you feed this animal? And Kramer, very funny. They're like, oh, oats and hay, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. They like that stuff. And uh, they can't breathe back there. And, and, and Kramer's reactions to the horse are just fantastic. Like, oh, rusty, rusty. <laughs> Rusty. <laughs> All right. Uh, George is now waiting for Jerry to show up and uh, that Jerry is uh, is getting over there. But now the Rosses have uh, have turned around and uh, they are dropping them back off at their house. Yeah, they, it seems like they only made it like a block or two before Rusty totally uh, wrecked the whole joint. Yes. Yes. And uh, so uh, George asks, uh, what the hell happened? And Kramer says that the horse is gassy. It must have been all that beefarino. And uh, George, very upset that Kramer fed the horse beefarino. Yeah, I feel like there was probably very specific instructions from that Dennis guy what to feed the horse. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, we see a quick scene of the jazz club where they're waiting for John to uh, do his performance. Uh, and they tell the music uh, executive, hey, 10 more minutes. Okay. And the guy's like, I'm not staying here all night. I got it. I got I mean, a real good musician shows up late, though, right? Yeah. Wow. Well, not if the executive is there. I guess. 
All right, so at this point, the Rosses are back at the house. Uh, that Keith, that, again, we talked about this briefly with Susan having the run-in with uh, Kramer earlier this season. But for the Rosses, is there any knowledge that Kramer's the person that burnt the cabin down? It's a good question. I hadn't really thought about it. It's kind of insane that that doesn't come up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I mean, they're just like, Mrs. Ross is really... She's a wor- they're worse people than the Costanzas. Like the Costanzas are just crazy and they almost can't help it. You know, she gets out and they're so mad. Like they don't know that Kramer fed the horse the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Like she gets out and she says, thanks for nothing. Like he did yeah. this nice thing. It's not his fault that the animal, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, basically uh, ruined the whole trip. Right. <laughs> right. That George didn't wasn't responsible for feeding the horse before he booked this handsome cab ride. <laughs> No, we go on Yelp. Who is she mad at? Like, you can read the horse. <laughs> that the horse is gassy for the reviews yeah. or anything like that. Yeah, it's crazy. Okay. Yeah, I mean, this is, they're getting a terrible Yelp review. Dennis's handsome cab here. Forget about it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we end up with George, who is now uh, in the window, uh, looking down at Jerry and telling him to uh, throw the rye. Uh, throw the rye up to him. It's such a unique and good scene. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, uh, Jerry can only throw the rye yay high. Even if he got it that high, what are the chances that George is going to be able to catch it? No, 50-50 at best. Yeah, I mean, George isn't exactly Brandon Marshall up there. Uh, no, he's 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 like uh, Devin Smith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, they don't have Kramer attempt to throw the rye. Would you like to have seen Kramer? Have wanted, the problem is Kramer might throw it and it might end up in like someone's yard or something. What do you think of the technique? Jerry is doing a two-handed sort of underhand alley-oop with the rye. Do you think that they would be better off with sort of like uh, taking the rye into sort of like a traditional football type overhand throw? Yeah, I think throw? you do the football throw. I mean, you have to be nervous that it's bread, that the bread is going to start breaking off, even if you catch it. Yeah. Well, what Jerry is doing is very gentle, where Jerry is able to catch it easily with Kramer like or Jerry if they did decide to do the football throw if they are sort of like you know a yard or two to the left or right or and it hits the wall that's sort of the end of the marble fry yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, you have to be delicate so the two-hand throw not good for a distance or accuracy but probably good for the 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 safetyness of the bread Mm mm-hmm anyway so uh, Jerry says he can't get enough oxygen because of the the horse. Uh, that's really a, a problem. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. The Ross is concerned. Why is the handsome cab just like parked in front of their house? Yeah. Oh, I, I would would be shocked if they uh, didn't make the didn't make the handsome cab leave right away. Mm-hmm. Like this is, you know, they seem like, well, I'll tell people wanted me to tell the throw up story from last week. Yes. And I, there's no like great point, but I'll tell it now because it's similar to like someone being outside someone's house. So. We're two two weekends ago. We were coming home Friday night from my father in law's house. My wife's parents are divorced, so her father and her mother happen to live very close to each other. So we're just walking home. It's around the corner from one house to the other. Mm -hmm. And as we're leaving, we had like a really big meal at my father in law's house. As we're leaving, we turn the corner, and my oldest daughter uh, throws up her entire dinner. Oh no! On like the way it works in like South Florida, in a lot of houses, there's like you have a lawn. And then a sidewalk. And then there's like more lawn that's yours before the street. Like if you have a lot of cars in the driveway, you could like park your car on this lawn. Uh, people do. But it's, it's like it's, it's more your lawn. Whereas like by my parents' house, they have it. But I, I would think that's almost like the city's kind of, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so she throws up on the second lawn, the one that's next to the street. And then she's like throwing up more. And it's a lot of throw up. <laughs> and my like, and she's long hair. She, my mom is like, my wife is holding my daughter's like hair back. So, you know, because the women have the, the extra throw up, pro- like throw a problem where you don't want to kink sure. the hair in it. Sure. Anyway. And now we realize, like, oh, this is like a stranger. Like, it's only a couple of doors down from my father-in-law, but we don't know this person. So now we're like, oh, shoot, we got to, like, hit the road because they're going to see, like, their, uh, you know, like, we're throwing up on their lawn and they're going to get really mad. And it's pitch black also. Like, what are we going to do? Like, how do you clean up throw up on grass? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. if it was, I've, I've had to clean up, I don't know if you've had to do this, but like clean up kids throw up before. And it's like, it's in the bathroom or something. It's like, okay, fine. You know, you mop it up or whatever. But like. What? How do? I don't. What do you even do? Like you leave it? You like turn on the hose? I, I wouldn't even guess like where to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so now my wife says out loud, "Okay, guys, let's make a run for it." Uh, and of course, the lady's already outside. Mm-hmm. The, the lady of that, the woman whose house it is, and I now in like my mind, I remember hearing my father-in-law say like, "Oh, like the people who live on the corner are really insane." Or not, maybe not insane, but they have like a lot of like do not trespass type signs, you know, eight different alarms maybe. And like they're not like the neighborhood, like the friendliest people in the neighborhood. So now this is all coming together to me that she was like because there was a light on. So she was like sort of watching and she's come outside. So we turn the corner and like my kids are like really scared. Like, let's walk fast. So we start walking and I turn around thinking we're in the clear and I see this lady walking very slowly towards us saying nothing it's like super out of like a movie it's like a horror movie she's not saying anything she's following us but she's like she's not trying to catch up to us like we're you know 60 feet ahead of her and then like keep walking don't turn around eventually one of my kids turns around she's like she's gone so i figure we're okay and we only have to make it like you know another one one block down this one street Mm mm-hmm and as we're about to make the turn onto our, uh, like, right to uh, the, the, my mother-in-law's house, a car starts, like, driving. And my daughter's like, oh, that's for sure her. And the lady pulls up to us. And she opens the window. And she starts yelling like I've never heard anybody yell before. And she's cursing at us in front of the kids and blah, 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 blah. And I realize, and my kids are, like, very scared. And also, it's Florida. So, like, everyone has a gun. So, you're also always okay. kind yeah, of very yeah. cognizant of that. Luckily, it's like a little lady and not like some dude who for sure would pull the gun on us. Uh, and she and she and I realized like she's yelling like, didn't you effing idiot see the orange cone? We put like we you know, we put a new cement down today. So the cone was there. So no one would step on it. Now you're going to ruin the cement, which, by the way, like if the cone is physically on the cement, the cement's already fine because if the cement was wet, the cone would actually sink into the cement. Right. I'm no cementologist, right. but but anyway, fine. And now she's yelling and cursing at us for like 10 minutes. And I realize she doesn't realize we just vomited all over her lawn. She's crazy enough that she was just mad that we walked on her sidewalk at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if she knows about the vomit, we're going to get shot. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and like, so we really dodged the bullet because this was an insane person who didn't even realize we threw almost literally over the lawn. Yeah. Uh, and then we ran home and tried like, hopefully she didn't figure out where we lived. But uh, anyway, maybe now it wasn't you told a great the story, story on the but... podcast. Now this is uh, admissible in court. Oh no, you think that's bad? I mean, what? But what would you do? Like, if it was a normal person, what if she's our biggest listener? Well, not anymore. <laughs> like, it was you. <laughs> it's like Johnny DeSilvera's aunt. <laughs> like what? What? Uh, first of all, she doesn't know. So, in, uh, you know, it would be hard she, unless she knows about the throw up. But I, I don't know. Uh, 
I, I like, what would you do if it was like a neighbor? You'd say like, how can I help? Like, you know, you pay someone to clean it and I'll give you the money. Like, but what do you do? Like, it's pitch black in the middle of the night. Your kid throws up on grass. What, mm-hmm. Like, what's my, even if it was like my mom's lawn, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. I uh, I don't know. You just got to use the hose. I mean, I mean, it's not if it was AstroTurf or like some sort of like artificial uh, surface, I think that that would be worse. Yeah, I, I guess you just use the hose, right? I think the hose is I mean, there's some big pieces not to get too graphic. Probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> somebody will come through eventually with a dog and then it's fine. That's what I'm saying. Like and you and by the way, if they didn't see it, they probably would just assumed it was a dog on the block to begin with that threw up. Yeah, it'd be fine. Yeah, Fine. hopefully uh, don't re- don't rent me out and we'll be OK. OK. All right. Uh, so we get back to Elaine and John at the jazz club and uh, we see that, you know, I guess things did not go perfectly. And again, you know, I think this speaks to the idea that this is a little bit of a, uh, a new experience for uh, for John, the saxophonist. Um, a new experience. Yeah, nothing he's ever done before, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so Elaine says to him, don't be silly, John. You were very good. You just don't have to try so hard. Uh, that's nice. She's got to be a little more, a little bit more complimentary than that, Elaine. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. It seemed like he was like uh, somehow straining I, I, again uh, that that are, are we supposed to imply here that that uh, does he feel like that there's sort of like a one to one with the saxophone? Is it a confidence thing, though? Is it just like my confidence is shot because Elaine said I didn't do a good job? And it's mm, not like, no, it's no, not I think that that, I, it's not that I wore out my, my mouth in practice. Yes, I think that he that he he uh, exhausted his instrument in the mm. uh, in the pregame. Yeah, not a great idea. Yeah, I don't think that, that his uh, confidence is broken. I, I don't think that that's the case. OK. All right. So, uh, George, uh, we now see has uh, gotten some sort of a fishing rod from the Rosses. Now, how on earth <laughs> he walked through the Rosses' house? I mean, like, you can't imagine that they had a fishing rod in the kitchen, no? No, I mean, maybe it's this room. This is like a guest bedroom, and they happen to have a fishing rod in there. Yeah, I guess maybe so. Maybe Susan had a brother or something, or they had a, like a, you know, whoever's room this was was really into fishing. Maybe it was one of the things that was uh, supposed to one day go to the cabin, but now they have to keep their yeah, the house. Maybe it was like one of the only things salvaged from the cabin. Yeah. So Jerry says, I never baited a hook with a rye before. Your hook is too small, like for a muffin. <laughs> or at least a muffin top. All right. Yes. So uh, George is hoisting the marble rye up on the fishing rod, uh, which is, you know, incredibly slapstick, but hilarious. And uh, he is pulling it up uh, and then uh, we end up seeing him busted by uh, by the Rosses. Um, I, I mean, really, this plan had no way of working, even if they're not in the room. Yeah. Um, George turns to them and says schnitzers and that's the last line of dialogue from this uh what do you think of schnitzers as george's reaction what's he what's he gonna say i don't know uh Uh, i wonder like is there some sort of like uh like catch of the day is there is there something that that is um like i i love this whole storyline i just felt like schnitzers is just uh, sort (laughs) of like we mugged an old lady for this (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i don't know i i don't know what the line is i just feel like uh i wonder if like you could really hit a home run on that last line uh i get i don't have like the line that would have been better schnitzers is like you know infield single fair enough like it's like 
it's it's okay. It's you know, uh, but I feel like that the, the, there's an opportunity there. I don't know what it is. Uh, I mean, like, how about I found it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, I found that, it. Like, that's here's good, the, here's the same rye. Good. I found it. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then uh, John Germain takes the stage in the tag and uh, is attempting to play, and it's not going well. And Elaine just sees herself out. Yeah. I mean, all, by the way, it all sounds the same to me. This jazz is the same as the really good stuff at the beginning. Yeah. Why does Elaine force herself to leave here? Are, I, I mean, are people in the audience going to say, well, where is John Germain's beautiful music? He must have been pleasuring a woman all afternoon. <laughs> Get her. No, I think it's I think that she realizes one, she's never getting that again. Yes, that's never happening again. And two, mm-hmm. like she was attracted to him because he was such a great music stud. And now he's terrible at music. So what does he got? Is that it? Or is it yeah. that she realizes that what she was looking for, uh, that he was so bad that it yeah. was never that she needs to that that is something that is a requirement yeah. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. dating Elaine. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I said, that that's never happening again for her. And she wants that. OK, I thought you were saying that she was attracted to him because he was such a good musician. And now that well, I she think was, it's both. I think it's both. I think like it, it, she, she was willing to let it slide before. But now she realizes, A, that it's important, and B, that he's not even such a good musician. Okay. Poor John Germain. Uh, she really ruined his whole career. Yeah. I mean, listen, he, he has a case. He could drive up to uh, New England with Mabel Cho, and they could testify together at the finale. <laughs> All right. Uh, and that is it for The Rye, a, a wonderful Seinfeld episode. Yes. Yeah, truly very few flaws. All right. So, Keith, uh, where do you want to start? Do you want to uh, give out the, the grades for everything? Yeah, let's do the grades quick. All right, let's start with Elaine with the saxophone story that we have uh, been talking through. Again, it's the one story that sort of exists outside of everything else that's going on here in the Rye. Uh, yeah, again, the middle stuff, the hot and heavy, I never loved. I'll give it an A minus, but A minus, I think that's it, fair. It ends in the right place. Yes, um, I do think that it was a very bold choice to tell this story in 1996 yeah, uh, yeah. on primetime yeah, props, television. Have to give a lot of them. accolades for that. Uh, just yeah. the the whole hot and heavy middle part is uh, probably the weakest part of an elite episode of Seinfeld. Then uh, let's talk about Kramer and the horse. Yeah, I think it's classic as like a second storyline. It's an A to me. It's iconic. I think it's probably, uh, if not one of the top 10 most famous Kramer storylines, I feel like uh, maybe even top five. Yeah, definitely. A beefarino will will never be forgotten. Okay. (laughs) So George and going to dinner with the Rosses. I think the Ross, the scene at the Rosses is great, and you know the fishing and the throwing it up is just hilarious. So I give yeah, that an A too. That's an A. And Jerry ending up doesn't have so much of a storyline of his own. Up yeah, until but any time you mug an old lady, you get an A. That's yeah. a rule on our show. Another iconic moment in the series. Have to yeah. give that an A as well. Yeah. All right, Keeve. So tell us, does this episode crack your top nine pantheon? No. Hey, listen, there's only a few spots left. It doesn't crack the top ten. I think I'm going to be harder on it than, than you know, maybe people think. I, I think anything in the top 40 to me is gold, and there's almost no flaws. So I have it at 37, but maybe... 37? Wow. Yeah, it sounds like you're a lot higher on it. I'm higher on it. I love this episode. It. I'm higher. And this is one of my favorite episodes that we've covered since we've done the podcast. Yeah, no, it's great. If somebody said this is number one, I wouldn't say you're insane. But uh, yeah. the heart tells me where to put these things, and I put it at 37. <laughs> okay. 
All right. Well, uh, all in all, uh, great stuff with the rye. All right. Let's start to dig into our email. Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com is the email address. Also, let me just say this up here instead of at the very end of the show. We appreciate your feedback and your star ratings as well. If you think we're star worthy, we do appreciate those comments on our iTunes page over at postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. Been a while since uh, I feel like we've been uh, been charting. We were doing good for a while, but now I think that we've really uh, fall. Like we've been uh, resting on our laurels. Yeah, let's stop resting on laurels and let's get back to chart the <laughs> yeah. charts. All right, so let's uh, dig out the mailbag uh, for this week. And uh, Keeve, where do you want to start? Uh, same place we always start. Johnny D. Silvera. Hey, John DeSevera wants to know, can you two remember the first time you met your better halves' parents? Yeah, we kind of, uh, I, I mean, we established when we talked about when they met each other, mm-hmm. right? But what about when we met them? I'm trying, I don't, I, it's also when you have like someone's divorced, like, so I had to meet probably my wife's mom and my wife's dad separately. So you have like oh. double the, you know, I, I don't, but I don't even remember. I'm an old man. I had my 12th anniversary this week. <laughs> Happy 12th anniversary. Yeah, yeah, I I I, uh, I don't even remember meeting them, honestly. Yeah. OK. All right. Well, I didn't have any sort of big formal meeting. I don't believe uh, with I, I just remember I like I went to go pick up my wife from her house one time. And one time her dad was home and another time her mom was home. It wasn't like that there was. It wasn't, some sort and they of, were like, what are your intentions with my daughter? Mm, yeah, not re- not really. I mean, no. I, I think I'm a pretty easy sell on the parents. Yeah. It's not like I'm showing up with like long hair and tattoos and a motorcycle no. or anything like no. that. It's like, eh, okay, he's fine. Yeah, there would be like you could do better. If need but, be, Nicole could whoop this guy. No problem. Right. He's not dangerous. <laughs> no, uh, but you know, he's he is annoying. Yeah, and, that's true. You know, we thought you could do better, but what whatever. At least you know <laughs> we don't have to like worry about you know something bad happening to you. Yeah. Hopefully, when you call us for money, it won't be too much money. Yeah. All right. Uh, what about Lindsay? All right. Lindsay says, uh, do our wives or do we ever buy needlessly huge quantities of stuff at Costco or wherever because it's seemingly a good price? Her tiny freezer is currently essentially useless because it's f- completely full of Costco frozen broccoli. She kind of wished she'd gone for something less healthy. Well, Lindsay, I don't even have one freezer anymore. Mm-hmm. I have two freezers because mm-hmm. the one freezer wasn't enough to contain all that Costco type stuff. Yes. <laughs> um that who's buying all this stuff is it you or is it you like uh, i know you're a big foodie do you want your wife keeping all the stuff in the freezer for all the things no, that you i'm eat? like i like restaurants i don't like you know storing stuff in freezers yeah uh so it's all her i don't go shopping i don't even know where she buys this stuff um but no she will buy like meat a year at a time and this six months you know it's like i i can't even like i open up the freezer and she starts yelling like, close it what do you want i'll get it out for you all right. Well, I think I can. <laughs> I don't have uh, a bunch of stuff stocked up from Costco. My entire freezer is just completely packed to the gills with breast milk. I've had that too. My wife actually, like, one time she stopped nursing mm-hmm. and uh, she wanted to, like, give it away because supposedly it's, like, in demand and you could even sell it. And the she, like, wants. Yeah, she wanted to give it to, like, a ch- no, like, to people who maybe can't, don't have milk, mm-hmm. but want to. So she wanted, so there was some charity and she kept calling them and they never called back. So I, it probably just went in the garbage at a certain point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> we, we we also, have like, I also uh, have had that, but yeah, like luckily it's in like, gallons. it's labeled. It's never, you're never going to like accidentally have it. What okay. is, uh, what's Jif Probst wants from us? Okay. Jif says, uh, what is Jerry thinking? Lecturing Kramer about buying too much food at the price club? He should be thrilled. Yeah. That's yeah, a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. A few Didn't people really think it through. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, Craig from Vancouver says, considering that Mabel is the first witness in the finale, how important and serious was this crime? And does her appearance placing in the finale showcase the importance of this episode? I mean, yeah, like this is the worst thing that Jerry ever does. So it should be the first thing because you, you know, if you're the prosecution in the finale, you're trying to like, these people are dangerous. They're not just jokesters, right? They yeah, are no, monsters. This is huge. This is huge. a huge moment huge. in they the course of the this. series. It, that to tie it to a, another series. Okay. Uh, this is the, that to tie this to the Sopranos, this is uh, episode five of Sopranos of college. Uh, that is the moment. Mm-hmm. If you're going to compare Jerry to Tony Soprano, I, I believe that if you're going to tie this to breaking bad for Johnny D. Silvera, I believe this is uh, right where he is and not to spoil anything. This is the episode. I believe it's called Jane uh, at the end of season two of breaking bad and uh that is that moment for walter white uh so staying with almost entirely canadian so far what does brett from uh, edmonton want brent from edmonton brent says uh lately you've talked a lot about jerry doing things that are out of character like calling his girlfriend schmoopy and wearing glasses to fool lloyd braun but is jerry stealing the rye bread from the old woman the most out of character moment for jerry of the whole series i disagree i think it's the most in character moment for jerry in the whole series <laughs> Ooh, wow that's deep yeah <laughs> also if any of the other of the core four were the ones stealing the bread does it somehow seem like a more irredeemable act or is it just me certainly you could see george stealing the rye i could even see elaine kind of stealing the rye and they could just chalk it up to like her being wacky yeah i think that jerry stealing the rye is exactly uh, you know i think it was a window into jerry yeah there's more malice coming from jerry than there would be maybe from george doing it mm-hmm. but I think Kramer would, if Kramer was stealing it, that would have the be the most malicious of it, I but think. But just, you know, at its heart, though, that, why is Jerry stealing the rye? He's trying to help out his friend. Yeah. Like, there's, it's, there, right. There, it's a, like a, a bro move for Jerry of like, boy, George is counting on me. I got to pull this off. I don't have time for this lady and her, whatever her needs are. I need to do this to help my friend. He's Robin Hood of rye bread. Yeah, to some degree. All right. Uh, all right. Jeff. Yes. He's, he wants to know, why didn't George use Susan to help smuggle the Ryan? Does he really care what she thinks of his parents? I doubt it. You'd think using her to get the rye bread back would have made things much easier. And how did she get into the house in the final scene when George has the rye in the fishing pole? She was supposed to be at work. I assume the brownstone has a back entrance because she certainly couldn't have gone through the front door. It's a good point, right? That's a good I, point. If they're fishing stuff, then they would have noticed Susan. Mm-hmm. So at, at what point, unless, it, unless they like George says, wait, and they sort of walk away for a minute and then she comes in. I there aren't a lot of scenarios where Susan's just walking into the house. That is a good catch by Jeff. Yeah. This episode is sort of like a weird non-canon where Susan doesn't live with George. She lives with her parents and right. George lives with his parents. It's almost like this episode was written uh, during season five. Yeah, it's a good it's a good point. I think, uh, listen, it's at the end of the day, it's serving the jokes. Like we were talking about this a lot last week. Like, yeah. let's not get too caught up in the thing. All right, what does Caleb want for? Uh, was your tie thick or thin the last time you wore it? <laughs> You know, I haven't bought any. I don't wear ties anymore. I went very casual. Yeah. I haven't put on a suit in over four years. Oh, wow. Look at you. Yeah. Uh, I think that I have uh, mostly, for the most part, I think the last tie I wore was thinner, but I think that my ties are more to sort of like uh, right down the middle. Not not too skinny, not but, too fat. But if you bought a tie tomorrow, would it be a little thinner than than Probably a little bit. A little bit. But I wouldn't want to go too thin because I feel like what, what's the shelf life on that? A year? Right. I think at this point, it's about to flip back, it sounds yeah, like. it's going to flip back soon, so I think we're good. Also, Caleb wants to know, what did George's father-in-law mean when he said, hell of a picture? Did he mean movie? I think he's just rubbing it in that he's young. <laughs> I think so. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, then, uh, you know, by the way, just in terms of the movie, uh, back to, uh, to Lindsay. She said, have you guys seen Firestorm? Unquestionably, one of the worst films I've ever seen. Now, I don't believe that Firestorm was intended to be a real movie at the time. There are that many, this was- I was looking this up. There's like five different Firestorms. So it's hard. Some of which came after the episode, so it's hard to know exactly what they're but talking about. But only one pre nineteen ninety six. A uh, actually, that's not even a movie. It's There's a, multiple uh, ones, I think, pre ninety six. Even yeah, okay. So um, I wasn't sure which one they were talking about. So I didn't. There's really, a nineteen ninety seven yeah. firestorm. There's a two thousand thirteen firestorm. So yeah. I th- I think that it's intended to be a fake movie. Yeah. But Stop I think naming the, your movies firestorm. By the way. Yes. Yeah. It's not good. Has it worked uh, out? We've had five yet? of them, and none of them have really made it through. Well, except if you ask Mr. Ross, he said that this one was pretty awesome. Hell of a picture, yeah, yeah, hell of a picture. Okay, all right. Uh, what about uh, Travis? Travis says we should easily get our Elaine, Elaine, Elaine mentions in this week, as that's to be the best episode for her and for Julia of the whole series. Uh, yeah, it's wow. definitely up there. I mean, it's good. Yeah. Uh, he also says, "Can you think of another one-time character that so completely carries a scene the way John Germain did with the saxophone bit in the tag?" Well, the episode was never explicit on what everything entailed. This was a hilarious way to clear up any doubt. So Travis didn't exactly know what they were talking about until the episode explained it to him. A little hyperbolic with the praise for the Elaine part of this episode. Listen, we have a lot more emailers now than we used to. So Travis knows, like, you need a hot take to get in there or else you're getting left on the cutting room floor. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I did not really think that John Germain is a super iconic character. I think that this storyline to me is much more memorable for the subject matter and the boldness in which that they uh, were able to explore this topic in 1996 more so than John and his performance. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Max the Millennial. He mm-hmm. is back to say, my question is about the casting of Susan's parents and the old woman who Jerry steals the rye from. Is there any reason why all three actors, uh, Grace Zabriskie, Warren Frost, and Francis Bay, are also major characters in Twin Peaks? It seems deliberate. Is there any backstory on this? Were Jerry and or Larry just huge Twin Peaks fans? Uh, I've never seen Twin Peaks, so I was hoping you could add something to this. No, I, I, don't I have know. no idea. I have not seen it either. And I you're, think you're is... Max the Millennial. This isn't your thing, Twin Peaks. Yeah, Max is... Ask us is... about, like, hey, there's three characters from Saved by the Bell in this week's issue. Uh, so, I mean, say by the bell, I don't even know if it's is, is barely millennial. Oh, yeah. Although my yeah. kid's pounding the full house recently. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> they love the uh, full house. Uh, I don't know. I think that if we ever got uh, a kid, the casting guy with the the guy with the mustache on the inside look, we, we can yeah. get him uh, to add that to his interview question list. All right. Amir says, I've never understood why it's so difficult for George to sneak the ride into the Ross's apartment. Couldn't he just put in a gym bag and say he's coming from the gym or the pool? Or bring it in any other large bag with a slimmer excuse. It doesn't seem like such a big problem. Mm, that's a fair point. That's a fair point of why he needs to do it. I mean, do you think that he would ha- certainly have an opportunity to get get into the house with something? Uh, you know, it seems like maybe there were better capers they could have had. But, you know, on, on the surface, get them out of the house. Just come in with the rye is not that crazy of an idea. No, I, I, I think that there. Yeah, he, he went too big here where he should have went smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And then finally, pro-bullying advocate Alexander Chester writes in to say, the Ross Costanza dinner scene is an all-timer, but Mrs. Ross says her husband hasn't read any of the books where we know he reads John Cheever. Also, Estelle's aggressive ignorance of Merlot seems odd. Yeah, we thought that was odd too. Okay. 
Bradley, the jazz club where John Germain plays, went out of business right after this episode. Maybe his final performance was so poor that the club couldn't survive it. Uh, yeah, I, I think or <laughs> or maybe Elaine really uh, started messing with all the performers. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, we're really now starting to uh, get into the Chester zone with this yeah. part. Uh, oh, we're, we're deep in the Chester zone. You're visiting your future in-laws for dinner for the first time. A $30 bottle of wine is a safe gift. Now, we know George would rather have Pepsi than wine, but the Costanzas bring a loaf of bread. One, what's the most a schnitzer's rye can cost? Does this scream cheap? And two, who serves plain bread at dinner? What possible purpose could this serve? No, I think it's a fair question. It's not a good gift. It's $6 we've established. It's I mean, a bad I don't gift. Think bringing a loaf of bread is super uncommon if you go to dinner at somebody's house. I think the first time, just go. Wine is so safe. Mm-hmm. Just go with the wine. I mean, $30 in 1996 is a lot, Chester. I don't even think mm-hmm. you need to go that high. Yeah. So I don't know if they were asked to bring anything or if this, but I, I don't think that necessarily that the uh, the bread is such a crazy idea. And especially like we don't know what meal this is. If this is sort of like a Sunday dinner, I think that uh, the bread is uh, is an acceptable gift. Yeah, but I hear like there's no purpose to it. It's not like, oh. Oh, good. You serve bread. I'm going to like put some, take something out that we could put on the bread or something. Well, Frank Costanza says, I'm going to show them what good taste is. So maybe the marble rye from Schnitzer's just is incredible, at least according to Frank. Yeah, maybe you could eat a plane, I guess. Right. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you go to like a restaurant, they put bread on the table. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Why is Elaine so upset about John Germain writing a song called Hot and Heavy anyway? It's a great compliment. Why is she shocked that John's excited to hear that? This makes no sense. Right, we're with Chester on that one. Yeah, we're with Chester. Hashtag right, I'm with but, Chester. All right, but now Chester is back with two. I don't want to sound so snobbish. Anytime he starts a sentence like that, it's it's game over already. He's going to sound I'd like a snob. I expect Mrs. Ross to drink something nicer than Johnny Walker Red. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, why are the Rosses leaving George alone in their house while they go on a handsome cab ride anyway? If he was stuck outside, how did he plan to get the rye in the house? It is the, the mechanics of him being in the house still and waiting for them outside the apartment is pretty bizarre. Yeah, yeah. And then finally, uh, the implication at the end of the episode is that George being caught with the hook with the rye is terrible for the relationship with the Rosses. But imagine if this happened to you. Wouldn't it endear you to the in-laws? It's a cute, funny story showing how hard you were trying to make them happy. Also, uh, you could make fun of your crazy parents together. I do think that this is the kind of thing where in the moment it's definitely awkward, but I feel like that in, you know, a, a couple years, if Susan didn't die, I yeah. think this turns into a pretty funny story. Oh, yeah. I mean, they'll have bigger fish to fry with uh, George. But yeah, I think ultimately this would be a great story for your like 20th anniversary. <laughs> yeah, it certainly would be. Uh, I'm surprised that Chester didn't have any hot takes about the uh, Elaine storyline. Not his specialty. <laughs> Uh, I was expecting him to uh, come in with uh, some something on the email. But would uh, you want well, statistics? He could probably give you statistics. Spreadsheet <laughs> <laughs> at least. <laughs> at least the Google Doc. I think but, the spreadsheets uh, are the reason why he doesn't know much about the other stuff. <laughs> Less spreadsheets and maybe. Uh, okay. All right. Well. Uh, Keith, uh, so much fun. Other than the the, uh, the fantasy football stuff, you want to cut the at- fantasy football stuff? You could cut the fantasy football stuff. <laughs> the problem is that we referenced it a few times. It's fine. Uh, I I think maybe I would say let's let's leave it, but maybe that there should be like a disclaimer of that. Yeah. Akiva is going to open the show with a disclaimer or something with a ten minute fantasy <laughs> football take that you can feel free to skip that ahead. no one will care about. 
But what if it's like someone's <laughs> favorite part of the episode? Then, then they can listen to it. Yeah. Tweet at me if it's your favorite part of the whole episode. <laughs> yeah. I will forward right. those to Rob for sure. All right. Uh, what's the hashtag today? Hashtag called in light. Yeah, I think called in light's the winner here. All right. There you go. All right. Keith, what's coming up next week? All right. Next week, we got the caddy. We've stand the caddy and uh, we're going to meet Sue Ellen Mishki, the brawless wonder for the first time. Oh, okay. Very good. So excited about that. If you haven't had a chance to listen to our interview with Jennifer Armstrong, that's also up at this point. So you could check that out as well. And then, of course, uh, thanks so much to Scott St. Pierre, who is uh, always uh, working hard editing many podcasts, including the Seinfeld Recap Podcast and Mike Moore, who's been recapping the episodes uh, with us for quite some time as well. The link to sign up or to subscribe and then also leave us ratings is also postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. Keith, what are you working on on 32 fans? Uh, we're, I think we're about six divisions done. We just did NFC East with uh, Legendary and uh, not kicked out of the 20-team Fantasy Football League uh, member Jordan Parhar. Good guest for the yes. Dallas Cowboys. Uh, we're yes. almost done. By the time people listen, we'll just about be finished with all eight divisions. Uh, you know, you said specifically last year we did 32 guests separately. This year, we're doing him four at a time times eight. You said specifically that this would be a mistake. I agreed with you. Uh, do you have any opinions yet? Have you heard any of it to, to you know, was, were your initial suspicions uh, confirmed? Yeah, I have to say, I have not listened to them yet. I'm so far behind on Oh, that's all fine. Things. Listen, but, that, but, all right, so that's, but it's almost like proving it. It's like, I'm not even interested. That's what you're saying. Yeah, just <laughs> the, the reason why is that I figure, like, the NFL is so unpredictable at times. Like, uh, what, what, what do I need to get it spoiled for me in terms of like what what people think are going to happen? It's like okay, nobody knows. Fair. Nobody knows anything. Mm-hmm. So um, that I don't mean to disparage you guys uh, in particular. I just have like I have a to, at some point I need to start to cram my brain with fantasy football. I, I bear I've barely even paid attention to what the Jets are doing in the preseason. Mm-hmm. I'm just not. I, there's too much. Uh, too many things I, I have to podcast about for me to even get into football this far away from the start of the season. Okay, fair enough. It's just, um, I believe me, that uh, me from three years ago would have uh, listened to every episode by now. Listen, he's, this guy's bragging about how busy he is. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not bragging. <laughs> uh, I just uh, I haven't had, listen, I haven't had time. It, everything comes and goes, just like the skinny ties. One day you won't be so busy and you'll have time yeah. again, probably. I'll listen to the AFC East uh, preview. That, that'll be the, the first one. No, that, that's the worst one. That's the one where we have a half hour warning for you not to listen. Okay, well, then what, <laughs> what do you want me to do? Warning. You want me to sit there and listen to the <laughs> NFC West preview? No, no, no. Oh, no. One of the Cardinals guests was not good. <laughs> Everyone else was good. The problem is you get like three really good ones and then you get a clunker usually in the four. Yeah. That, listen to the first like 20 minutes of AFC East. But when we say shut it off because the audio gets bad, shut it off. Yeah. Okay. Well, all good stuff. Uh, Keeve, lots of fun today. And uh, we'll be back next week to talk about looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say on postshowrecaps.com. Hopefully, uh, again, uh, we didn't offend uh, any of our, <laughs> of our listeners once again uh, this week. I think what we, we, we what would we have offended them with women. I think probably in general, uh, I, they they bailed on us in episode three. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.